Greetings, welcome, bienvenidos, hola, aloha, ni hao, namaste, konnichiwa, bonjour, bonjourno, sawadee karup, guten tak, jau wee vakat bang, half a day, jai janendra, salam, shalom, peace, now, go vegan, peace how, go vegan, from the new left right, or new right left, coast of the genetically mutated McNugget Pharmaceutical Vivisection Prison Killitary Industrial Core Poor Nation in the cheese-covered post-constitutional bankster bankrupt corruptocracy mocracy criminocracy unchallenged by mediocrity foodborne in the NSA NRA uh, USA home of Uncle Sam Manella where they sure do eat a lot of dead animal body parts and the Wall Street-backed corporate diet of death, disease, and destruction is shoved down your throat. This is Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden. And it, isn't it amazing, though? Actually, everybody's everybody's against Wall Street, right? Everybody, well, of course, except the uh, Democrat Party, uh, which is a partner of Wall Street. But the people, the people are against Wall Street, and the Democrat Party says says it's against Wall Street. Um, but look at Obama. He's going to get paid $400,000 for one speech uh, by a Wall Street bank. So, But, uh, you know, we, we were also anti-Wall Street. Watch what would happen to Wall Street if we all, if we all went vegan. If, if we all went vegan, you know, the... Um, Humpty Dumpty comes falling down, the, the whole wall collapses if we were to all go vegan, you know, and withdrew from the Wall Street-backed corporate diet of death, disease, and destruction. Wow, that would be amazing, huh? Ah, well, maybe maybe one of these days, maybe one of these days we'll, we'll, we'll recognize what's real, <laughs> but... These days, you know, left is right, up is down, you know, uh, nothing is as it seems. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Um, have you noticed that? So it makes it a little difficult to maintain one's sanity in such an environment, don't you think? Uh, maintaining insanity, ma- maintaining sanity in in. An insane world, so as as insane as ours. Well, if that's the case, then then I have to make a case that vegans are the sane ones. That's right. If nothing is as it seems, imagine this: vegans are the sane ones, even though you know they are ridiculed as the crazy ones by the normal ones who eat body parts and bovine nipple drippings and uh, scrambled embryonic uh, discharge from the feces and urine exit. You know, the the feces and urine exit hole in birds um, seem like strange places to be getting (laughs) nutrition, huh? So kind of sort of makes the vegans the only sane ones here kind of sort of um really how does one stay sane um and what is sane what is sane um in in this world huh 
It seems that eating meat, dairy, fish, and eggs, and bombing people, and nuclear energy, and nuclear power, you know, in a justice system um, where the the criminals are in control, basically. The criminals are the ones, uh, you know, uh, yeah. The criminals are in charge of the system, and uh, the innocent get the death, the death sentence, and the media are uh, incapable of telling the truth. So, uh, what a mess! What an insane mess! Except uh, the vegans seem to be the only sane ones here, um, and. Uh, you know, they, there's there's kind of this. Uh, I mean, even even when you look at, I mean, wh- what 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 is saying about politics? What what is saying about the environmental movement? What is saying about an animal rights movement? Uh, I think we've been a little distracted for a while, distracted by the uh, election, Hillary versus Donald, and. Wow, that's taken a lot of our attention and focus. Um, and then after that, we've been distracted by the climate march and climate change, climate month, climate Earth Day, you know, so all of that taking our attention. And what what seems, uh, it, it seems that things have become just so corrupt that... Um, it, it, it seems like those who are supposed to represent someone or something seem to be advocating for their or its annihilation. I don't know. I don't know what happened here. I don't know. It seems like political activism has turned into annihilation activism. You know, it's uh, there's a party that's supposed to represent the people. And the platform of that party is uh, let's all be let's let's have all the people vaporized uh, in nukes. Let's let's have a, a nuclear war with Russia. Um, that's the party that represents the people. Well, I guess we won't have to suffer long, right? With uh, suffer long with the disease if uh, you know, we just get vaporized quickly. That's the platform. Uh, and even that includes uh, Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders with the whole uh, Russian fear Russia scenario, and that Russia uh, tampered with our election. Uh, Bernie, Bernie, y- you were elected. You in the primaries. Somebody else tampered with the election. The one you supported for president <laughs> is. I don't know. Nothing is as it seems, right? Nothing is as it seems. So, uh, yeah. So, uh, so the Democrats want nuclear war with Russia, and oh, and it was on the Jimmy Dore show, and and uh, Jimmy Dore said it was revealed in this book called Shattered by insiders who were covering the Hillary campaign. That basically the uh, it was uh, John Podesta, John Podesta, and Robbie Mook. Uh, pretty much the modern-day Adams family, who uh, concocted this whole anti-Russia scare to take attention away from uh, 
the 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 horrible inept political campaign that lost to Donald Trump, uh, the guy uh, whom the Democrats, the Democrat Party, got nominated to be the opponent because he was supposed to be so easy to defeat. Yes, that was uh, part of the Democrat plan. Um, it was to get somebody nominated whom Hillary could beat easily. It uh, they wanted one of the fringe Republicans. Donald Trump was was prime, and so the media who support Hillary, you know, all um, I think it's pretty obvious that they do, gave Trump all that time so he could be the nominee, and the result is because Hillary lost. We all now have to pay uh, by being vaporized um, in a nuclear war with Russia. It's a small price, price to pay, you know, as, as an apology to Hillary for uh, not coronating her, um, as was supposed to be the case. So there you are. You're represented. The People's Party wants you uh, nuked. Um, and... Uh, you know, corruption abounds in the environmental movement. The environmental movement wants the planet destroyed uh, by climate change. Um, that's all, you know, obvious when a movement is so irresponsible as not to publicize the number one cause of climate change. Uh, which is animal agriculture responsible for at least 51% of all greenhouse gas emissions. And then that same planet-destroying environmental movement decides uh, that, uh, well, since it's not going to mention the number one cause, no reason to mention the uh, only solution for climate change before it's too late, and that's a massive population shift to going vegan. Um, and so we don't hear any of that. So... The, the People's Party, uh, you know, the, the Democrats say, let us be nuked and vaporized. Uh, you know, the climate groups, the environmental groups, Greenpeace, 350.org, NRDC, Sierra Club, they all say, eh, let's, let's all let, let the people be boiled. We can be nuked. We can be boiled, boiled in climate change, burnt, burnt in the the fires and the wildfires are drowned. Um, you know, pretty amazing. But that's what donation money can do to you. And uh, while we've been distracted by the uh, po political activities, corrupt, poli corrupt political activities and corrupt environmental activity, I think we've been distracted from from our very own animal rights movement near and dear close to our hearts um this uh well i mean i guess maybe we we i don't know that we can call it an animal rights movement anymore i believe that uh by its corruption by money it really we now really need to recognize this as uh the animal annihilation advocacy movement. Hmm, we have some alliteration, you know, we have so animal annihilation advocacy movement, the triple A movement we have here. Um, that's right. That's right. I would say it's official. Basically the meat, dairy, fish and egg industry money now owns 
what uh, pretended to be an animal rights movement, but it pretty much outright, I mean, I don't think there's any denying that what we have is an animal annihilation advocacy movement. I think it's tragic and criminal, uh, but, you know, look, look at the state of the world today. Nothing is as it appears to be. Oh, except Go Vegan Radio. Look at that. No, I we don't eat we no we we don't we don't eat meat, dairy, fish, or eggs, and we're not wearing leather, feathers, wool, silk, or fur. We're not going to the circus or the rodeo. Um, we're not buying products tested on animals. You know, household products, personal care products. So, yeah, we're doing our best to support vegan restaurants and vegan businesses. And uh, we're doing our best to ask everybody to go vegan, since, after all, it is the only way to save the planet, as we are told by the top climate specialists from the World Bank. Um, you know, Dr. Robert Goodland was the ecological advisor to the World Bank for over two decades, and he tells us that going vegan is the only solution before it's too late. And you would think with that kind of ammunition that an animal rights movement would be embracing the vegan cause and beseeching everyone to go vegan. Everyone on the streets, everywhere, every street corner, every opportunity. If going vegan is the only way to save the planet and it happens to be you know, the, the best thing for animals that we you know, just end the demand, end the consumer demand for their bodies to be eaten, you know, their skins to be worn, you know, no demand makes, you know, makes, makes all of those industries go away. You know, if nobody's buying meat, dairy, fish, and eggs or you know, leather, wool, silk, feathers, um, fur, that all goes away. And apparently they all just become veganic farmers, which would be great, wouldn't it? You would think that the animal rights movement would just jump on. You know, we have everything on our side, right? There's no argument against against this. That you know, you you, you want a health care plan? You want a health care plan? Go vegan. Put the statistics on your side related to heart disease, cancer, stroke, diabetes. You know, it just solves so much. Um, you know, we. We love animals. Let's really do what's necessary for the animals. Uh, and amazing, what's, what's really necessary for the animals is what's necessary for our health, and it's what's necessary for the environment. So you would think, you, you would think unanimously all the animal rights organizations or so-called animal rights organizations would just be out there, vegan, 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 vegan. Uh, instead of actually running away from the word vegan. Um, but uh, judging by the uh, Go Vegan Radio bank account, uh, you know, our, our uh, credit union account, I think that there might be more money in what those other groups are choosing to do uh, than uh, just in vegan advocacy. Um. And, you know, I, as I said, I, you know, I mean, we've all been distracted by the presidential campaign, the election, and uh, climate marches and all. 
and now uh, paying attention to to what has happened to the shattered um, you know so-called animal rights movement it it just can't be called um, can't be called an animal rights movement anymore it has to be an animal animal annihilation you know advocacy movement uh, all of these people are animal annihilation uh, activists and I saw it coming I saw it months ago I listened to an interview that uh, to me did portend calamity it was an interview on the podcast our hen house and you know I I'm sure I'm sure everybody has the best intentions, including the hosts of this radio program, uh, Jasmine Singer and Marion Sullivan. Uh, sure that they, they, deep down inside, have the best interests of animals at heart. Um, but <laughs> that being said, I can't believe that they would turn our hen house into a you know, really what it turns out to be a a cage-free hen house, which to me means tens of thousands of hens packed together in horrible conditions and all the males being born uh, immediately uh, churned, uh, you know, ground alive or suffocated, all the females mutilated and uh, all massacred. And that's the vision I have of our hen house because it uh, enthousi- enthusiastically uh, welcomed uh, someone on the program uh, from, uh, fr- from the, I mean, the, the, an organization that now has turned into a menace to the animals, the Open Philanthropy uh, Project. And uh, its director of animal welfare, Louis Bollard. Louis Bollard. Uh, Louis Bollard used to work for the Humane Society of the United States. The Humane Society of the United States is associated with Humane Society International. And the Humane Society of the United States is a uh, rancher advocacy rancher advocacy organization. It is the it is the meat dairy, uh, egg, and fish industry. It is the industry itself. It is a member of the industry. It has agriculture councils with farmers, people who kill and market animals. Uh, it's uh, had a, you know, it, ha- it has a pig, a pig farmer who has run it for, you know, Joe Maxwell, the pig farmer, kills 50,000 pigs a year. He was a an important vice president. Uh, he still holds an important position there. There, you know, people from the from animal exploitation industries are in management and associated with the Humane Society of the United States. I mean, that's uh, it's just the way it is. It is part of the livestock industry, so-called livestock industry, because it is part of an international livestock alliance dedicated to meeting uh, a 70% increase in demand for so-called livestock products by 2050. And the Humane Society of the United States plays an important role in that it gives uh, a stamp of approval uh, that uh, 
products, uh, you know, from animals which can never be humane are perceived as humane and therefore um, profitable. You know, people spend more money. Um, they feel that, uh, oh, we, we care about animals, but we still want to eat meat, dairy, fish, and eggs. So people will pay a premium price for that, and HSUS plays a, a major role in that. And, uh, you know, as such is part of the industry. HSUS is the animal agriculture industry. One of its operatives, Lewis Ballard, now is employed by the Open Philanthropy Project. He controls the money flow, and uh, it is a disaster for animals. But let us, uh, let's go back to that um, interview that was on months ago uh, on, on, it was on uh, our hen house, and uh, again, I I saw it as tragic. I I don't know why uh, Mr. Bollard was being uh, celebrated as a hero on this program. And again, I am sure that uh, Jasmine Singer and uh, Marianne Sullivan uh, care about animals and you know care about their best interests. But uh, uh, you know. We're, we're responsible. <laughs> we're responsible for our actions here, and let's see, you know, uh, what uh, what was said during this very what I found very disturbing um, uh, interview, um, and uh, where it has all led. So, um, let me see if I can uh, let's see if I can uh, do the technical here. And uh, we'll go. We'll go to this uh, podcast from uh, from our hen house, and with a little luck, I will start it and pause it, and start it and pause it to the best of my technical abilities. Pretty easily. No, I'm so excited about today's guest. I've been really looking forward to having him on the show for a while, and I just excited. adore his brain. And we are speaking, of course, about Lewis Bollard. So let's just get right into that interview. We're excited. Lewis Bollard leads the Open Philanthropy Project's strategy for farm animal welfare. He previously worked as policy advisor and international liaison to the CEO at the Humane Society of the United States. Uh-oh. Originally from New Zealand, he is a graduate of Harvard University and Yale Law School. Learn more at openphilanthropy.org. Welcome to our henhouse, Lewis. Hi, thanks for having me. We're really excited to talk to you today. Uh, let's really excited. Let's just the most obvious. What is the Open Philanthropy Project? Sure. So it's an initiative to uh, direct money toward uh, promising areas where uh, that have been neglected. So one of them, uh, thankfully, has been identified as as farm animal welfare. And really, our mission is just to give as effectively as we can within farm animal welfare, and then to also be really transparent um, so that other people can build off our work. So you're both giving money and through your transparency, advising other people on how to give their money? Yeah, that's our hope. I mean, I, I would say maybe more than advising other people, just uh, providing more information so other people can uh, can make better informed decisions. So how did this uh, organization that is not an animal rights organization, it's so rare that there's any recognition of animals from outside the animal protection movement. How mm-hmm. did it happen that they decided to get involved in, in animal welfare and specifically farm animals? 
Yeah, it's really to the credit of the people at GiveWell and uh, at Good Ventures, which is the the philanthropic foundation of Facebook co-founder Dustin Moskowitz and his wife, Carrie Tuna. And they launched uh, the Open Philanthropy Project as a joint venture between GiveWell and, and that foundation. And the only mandate they had for finding areas to give in was that they had to be important, they had to be neglected by other funders, and it had to seem like we could gain some traction. And so they went and scoured kind of all the different areas, and they identified a list of different things they thought met that criteria, like criminal justice reform, uh, biosecurity. And thankfully, one of the areas they identified was uh, farm animal welfare. And to their great credit, they followed through on their findings and said this is something that we need to get involved with. Oh, that, it's so amazing because certainly it's, we all know it's neglected and it's obvious that we could get enormous amounts of traction, but it's so hard to convince people that it's important. <laughs> yeah. uh, and of course, it, huge, it is so hugely important. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's something that, that you know, the people at GiveWell in particular really get. They've been very focused on human suffering and, and global public health in particular, but I think they really get that animal suffering matters too. And so they can't, they can't just address human suffering. Animal suffering is a critical part of the picture. I think it's, it, it's really a sign of the times that that has happened. Can you, you know, we had John Bachman on a, few, a, a month or two ago. Can you tell us how the work you're doing compares with the work of animal charity evaluators? Yeah, so Animal Charity Evaluators is doing some really innovative research in this area. And I think they're um, filling a, a real gap in that there hasn't been kind of high quality research into what interventions work, interventions work and what don't. And and also just kind of deep thinking about this by a number of intelligent people. So it's I think it's really important what they're doing. And I think they're helping draw new donors into this field. Uh, with us, we're kind of more focused on what are the most effective giving opportunities sort of one by one? And so the the way it really works is me going through different areas and saying, this is something, you know, obviously our end goal is the same. We all want to uh, sort of reduce farm animal suffering or ultimately end it if we could. Um, but, you know, what are the most effective ways to go about that? And so in our case, it's going to be sort of grant by grant, whereas I think from animal charity evaluators perspective, it's more recommendations for small donors. So it's these are the top charities, whereas with us, it's more likely to be this is a big, this is a great intervention. This is something we can make a grant around, but we're not necessarily going to be recommending charities or, or particular groups that people should give to. So what are your search, your selection criteria for your grants? Yeah, so we're actually still working on the kind of selection criteria, and I'm only... Uh, we're working on the selection criteria. We don't really know what we're doing, but uh, okay. Only three months into the job. But um, I would say they're very similar to the criteria that have guided the Open Philanthropy Project in that obviously we, we want uh, interventions that are affecting as great a number of animals as possible and relieving as much suffering as possible. Um, but we also want to find interventions that have been neglected by groups and funders in the area and most importantly, we want to find interventions that work, that, that really are gaining traction uh, and really making a difference for animals. And, and how, do you, how do you know what works? <laughs> is it, is it research-based? Uh, are you doing that kind of research? Or, this, I, I guess this is the question that so many people in the animal protection movement struggle with and why there are so many conflicts. What is the best way forward? So how do you dis make your decisions about that? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely uh, don't know yet what the best way forward I definitely don't 
know yet what the best way forward is. So um, he doesn't know. He doesn't know. Uh, well, that's what he's saying. This is this is somebody in charge of millions of dollars of uh, so-called animal welfare money, and uh, the hosts are very excited about him. And uh, so far, um, I, I guess he qualifies for the position uh, by being a know-nothing. Okay, well, <laughs> well, you went to Harvard and Yale, uh, but we were really looking for a, a, a know-nothing. Listen, I think uh, I'm I think so getting... glad you said that because <laughs> I can't stand people who are sure they know what the best way forward is. Yeah, I think... she's glad that he doesn't know what he's doing. She she's glad to hear that he said he doesn't know, he said he doesn't know what he's doing, and she's celebrating his ignorance. Uh, <laughs> welcome to the animal rights movement, or welcome. Welcome to the end of the animal rights movement. Uh, welcome to the animal annihilation advocacy movement. I think across the movement, we could probably uh, all do with some humility in terms of uh, thinking about this. And, and you know, for me, um, the way I'm, I'm trying to approach this and, and to gain a better sense of, of what the best way forward might be is to talk to as many people as possible, um, to gain the wisdom of people who have been in this field for years um, to gain the wisdom of different funders and different groups and people with different perspectives, and then to do a lot of research and to uh, to really scour what's what's worked in this country so far, what's worked overseas, um, what seems really interesting and exciting and might work in future. And so, it's mainly that combination of talking to people and researching. But you know, I'm not under any illusions that we're going to find the perfect solution. I think our best hope is that we just identify a number of giving opportunities that we feel really confident will make a really big difference. So tell us about your first grants. Yeah, so we, uh, we've just announced, and we're very excited about this, um, three uh, major grants in the field of accelerating the uh, corporate cage-free transitions that have been underway. There's obviously been this huge trend of companies since McDonald's went cage-free, getting rid of battery cages. And we really hope we can see the end of battery cages in America and, and one day the end of battery cages around the world. And so we've uh, made grants to three groups that have been at the real forefront of this fight. The first one is the Humane League, and our grant to them is a million-dollar grant over two years um, to increase their corporate campaigning team and to help them really um, bring about the end of battery cages both here and to help um, them expand overseas to our second grant is another million dollar grant to Mercy for Animals, again, spread over two years um, to help them increase their cage-free work. And our final grant in this area is a $500,000 grant uh, to the Humane Society of the United States Farm Animal Protection Campaign. And that's a one-off grant to provide a campaign fund for them to go after a major retailer, uh, much as they did with Costco, to try and kind of push that, push that change. So uh, basically what you see here is uh, uh, the sellout, the sellout of the uh, animal rights movement as it becomes the animal annihilation movement. Um, these groups all are accepting money to become chicken salesmen. So uh, with, uh, with these grants, with these, this, these bribes, uh, these groups who should be telling to people who should be telling people to go vegan are uh, telling people, uh, "Hey, buy this chicken! Buy this chicken!" Uh, 
Um, and uh, so, and, and uh, by the way, uh, Mercy for Animals, one of the recipients right there of a million dollars, if you uh, search on its website, or at least what it said in the past, it said, don't buy the egg industry hype about cage-free eggs. And uh, Mercy for Animals went right down the list of uh, what, you know, I mean, it's, it's just cage-free eggs are totally horrific, totally horrific. Each male, each male chick born is immediately, you know, into the uh, macerator. Uh, you know, ground alive or suffocated. All the females have their faces cut off, you know, they're de-beaked, and they're in huge sheds, um, you know, tens of thousands of them, um, you know, in a hell house. Uh, so, I don't know, so right right now, our hen house is a, is a large, uh, you know, large cage-free uh, egg hen house, and it, it's, it's horrific. And uh, there you go. This is just the start. This is when um, this is when uh, the Open uh, Philanthropy Project uh, came into be. And as you heard him say, these are its first three grants. I have a lot more to say about this uh, also coming up. But let's continue with this interview on uh, our hen house, our uh, our uh, hen torture house, our hen killing house. Um, and uh, again, <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm sure the host, you know, they mean well. They, they, they want the best for animals, um, and uh, um, unfortunately, they, they don't see that they're endorsing the worst for animals. And uh, so, uh, anyway, it's really, uh, really uh, disturbing to hear this interview with Jasmine Singer and Marianne Sullivan uh, just embracing. Uh, animal exploitation uh, and the betrayal of the animals by by groups who are supposed to represent them. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a lot of money coming into the movement, and that's very exciting. So he's, he, he just said that he's bringing in $2.5 million to promote the sale of chickens, and their reaction is that's a lot of money coming into the movement, and that's really exciting. Now, I am not in that movement, so please uh, never associate me with uh, any of these groups. Um, we'll, we'll start with HSUS, the Humane Society of the United States, Mercy for Animals, and the Humane League, and we'll uh, we'll we'll build our way from there uh, through through this program. But again, uh, to be excited about money coming in, and and again, this is this is bribery money. This is money, you know, to uh, to. You know, we, we, I mean, I, I mean, I, I think it's, you know, right from the start, this is practically criminal to have uh, organizations who are supposed to represent animals, uh, like Mercy for Animals, which did say, you know, how awful cage-free eggs were until it got this million dollars, and then uh, you'll see it's, 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 it's getting millions more after this, as we'll discuss coming up on the program. But uh, this, this is exciting. Uh, that these groups are going to to put a seal of approval on these uh, on, on on these products of torture and murder. Um, this this is you know the worst betrayal. I, I just, you know I, it, it's shocking. It's shocking. I'm curious to know why you why you chose the um, cage free 
campaign, specifically the question that I think arises for so many vegans in the movement that, yeah, of course, battery cages are probably the worst thing on the face of the earth. Mm-hmm. But but will it will this be a dead end? Uh, will we not be able to push further to to get eggs out of the system? Or do you have hopes that this is a first step? Yeah, I, I mean, I think change builds on change. And when I look at other successful social movements, I think it was never an all or nothing approach and, and incremental change brings about more incremental change. And, you know, we're trying to approach this from as non-ideological position as possible where whatever helps bring about a reduction in animal suffering is a positive from our viewpoint. So clearly meat reduction does that. Clearly veganism does that. And I think too, clearly campaigns like the cage-free ones uh, do that. And, you know, as you say, I think a, a big part of what motivates us on this so as every newborn male chick is ground alive or suffocated, uh, that's uh, the reduction of suffering. Uh, as every female has her uh, you know, face mutilated, she's debeaked, that's reduction of suffering. And as all the birds are crammed in with tens of thousands of other birds into dark sheds where they can't move, um, that's a reduction of suffering. And then they're all uh, brutally murdered uh, when they can't produce anymore. And that's reduction of suffering. And the only ones who don't know that there was any reduction of suffering are the hens themselves who have a 100% miserable life. So none of them are saying, wow, you know, we're lucky. We, we could have been in a battery ch- cage with uh, 11 or 12 other birds. And, you know, there's really no, no proof that uh, uh, the, the, the birds, you know, in those battery cages uh, are happier or more sad than the birds uh, in the shed with tens of thousands of other birds, you know, and then there are the pecking orders and the violence against each other. I mean, they, you know, they cut off their beaks because they don't want, you know, toes you know they don't they don't you know because they get violent you know it's a horrible situation and unnatural for them uh but we're celebrating this the the animal rights groups are selling this cage-free egg nonsense um as uh something positive but not a word about vegan so far right this is that battery cages are probably the most horrific animal torture device that's ever been invented i mean these are just he, he says probably they are the most uh, torturous inve- uh, 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 devices, but he also said he doesn't really know um, anything. <laughs> so I don't know. Here's some know-nothing who's guessing uh, that battery cages are, are worse than uh, sheds with 40,000, 50,000 birds crammed together. But, you know, what does he know? Incredibly cruel um, devices. And, and, you know, as everyone knows, cage-free systems – are not perfect, um, but at the very least, they. No, it's not that they're not perfect. They're horrific. They're 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 miserable. You know, they're torturous. Uh, they're not perfect, but you know, here we go. Here we go. Make life a little less miserable, and so just some of the. No, it doesn't make life a little less miserable when your life is a hundred percent miserable all the time. The basic things like a hen having enough room to stretch her wings having a perch to perch on at night, having a nesting box to lay her eggs in. I mean, these are just basic things that cage-free systems provide. And that- Not necessarily. Not necessarily. In a dream world, you know, you, you know, it's, uh, I don't know. It's, uh, don't, don't believe what you hear from the industry about what it is actually providing.
You know, I mean, here, here, this guy is saying, oh, you know, the, it'll allow them to spread their wings. Well, didn't we vote on Proposition 2? Well, I didn't. I, I uh, opposed Proposition 2 in California. Uh, proposition 2 was saying, well, you know, this is a proposition just so the birds have enough room to spread their wings. Don't the birds deserve just enough room to spread their wings? And then uh, the proposition passed and nobody knows what that means. So they don't, they don't, they don't know. Did that mean that all birds in the cage? And this was a campaign for enriched cages. So all of these groups are for enriched cages. They're for uh, so-called cage-free. Um, they're not for vegan. They're not really for, you know, totally liberating birds and putting a mass movement in that direction. But uh, so... Uh, there you have these uh, uh, so-called enriched cages, and uh, they, they were for them. And proposition with proposition two, uh, people didn't know. Well, well, you know, birds are supposed to have enough room to spread their wing, uh, and the uh, uh, the the bird farmers, the chicken farmers, were saying, you know, they didn't know if that meant one bird at a time, you know, all twelve birds in the cage, um, you know. <laughs> So so anyway, with Proposition Two, they're 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 using these enriched cages as the humane standard. Cages that used to be opposed when these groups pretended to be some sort of animal rights movement, uh, which uh, you see, uh, mon money can uh, looks like uh, money can corrupt a little bit here, huh? Every cages don't. So you know the immediate impetus for this grant is really that. Uh, the horrors of battery cages are so clear. And for the first time in, in years, we're gaining real traction on this issue. I mean, just seeing the number of companies making these cage-free commitments. And so a number of companies are making cage-free commitments. And that's all they are. They're commitments. Um, they're promises to do something in the future uh, that they most likely will be unable to do. They pro probably will not be uh, the supply to uh, meet the so-called demand. Um you know, when, when you have uh, McDonald's and, you know, all of these companies who suddenly want cage-free eggs, uh, well, then you need these, uh, these bigger uh, our hen houses, don't we? Uh, we need uh, the, 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 big, uh, the big sheds. That, that, and, and, you know, where's the room for that? So uh, somewhere down the road, they'll just say, you know, we can't afford to do it, you know, and then, you know, just forget about it. But right now... Uh, all of these companies, we love all of these companies because they're promising to use cage-free eggs in the future. In fact, animal rights people can love McDonald's because McDonald's uh, pledged to promises to to use uh, cage-free eggs in ten years. And then, what happens if anybody does comply? Well, then all the male chicks are ground alive just after birth, or they they're suffocated. Um, all the females. Uh, are mutilated, tortured, harshly confined, and then murdered. So, yay, reasons to celebrate. And thank you, Open Philanthropy Project, for your opening $2.5 million, for, for doing just so much good for the animals. It just seems like a really unique window of opportunity to, to drive that further. Um, but, you know, that's that's not to say that we, on, on this issue it really is just, okay, this, this first step is get rid of battery cages and, you know, then let's look at the next step. I, I see that your first three three grants are really 
seeking institutional change, not mm-hmm. so much seeking to have organizations go out and advocate to individuals to change their habits. Is that, do you see that as, I don't know whether I've been clear, but if I have, do you yeah, see that as, as basically the kind of grants that you intend to, to focus on as, as seeking institutional changes? Yeah, not, not necessarily, but certainly that was something that's really appealing um, with these cage-free grants. And, and I think it's true, too, you know, with institutional meat reduction. What's amazing to me is when you get a company uh, like McDonald's to drop battery cages from its supply chain, you know, once that's implemented, that's 8 million hens affected. Uh, that's just so much more than, than one customer or even getting – 100 customers or 100,000 customers. Um, And, you know, similarly, I think when you look at some of these meat reduction pledges or if you look at the innovative work a lot of groups are doing and in getting retailers and fast food chains to increase their vegan options, uh, you you just see how when a major company does that, uh, you know, when you have White Castle introducing vegan options, all of a sudden that's hundreds of thousands more vegan products uh, which just gives you a scale, which it's harder to get with with individual activism. But that's not to say we've we've ruled out individual uh, individual dietary change at all. And I think that there's some really important uh, work going on in that space. I also think that there's some really exciting work um, being done to to try and work out how effective um, individual dietary activism is. And and I think that you know particularly these new studies measuring online ads, measuring leafleting. Um, the, the results of those studies are probably going to influence our thinking on that space a lot. Yeah, I'm really interested in those studies. And, and do you feel that it's, it, I mean, obviously we all agree it's so important to get good research on what's mm-hmm. effective and, and creating behavioral change. Do you feel that the research that's being done and has been to, done to date is, is good enough? Does it really tell us what's going on? Or is there space to, to create better research models there? Yeah, I think there's definitely space for better research, and and that's not a knock against the the people who have done research to date. I mean, no, it's, of course it's a, not. I, it's, I, yeah, yeah, I didn't mean it that way. Yeah, no, I mean it's a really hard it's a really hard thing to research. You know, I mean it's it's just when I look at these studies, you realize how hard it is to to show what effect an intervention has. Um, and so I am really excited. You know, I know that this is a real priority for animal charity evaluators, and um, they've just brought on a new person to supervise a number of new studies and to really do some rigorous studies into online advertising and to other dietary interventions. And I'm really excited about that. You know, I, I completely agree that they just, we need new and better research on this field. And, and obviously it could have huge implications in terms of, of how we direct our money, but also how the rest of the movement uh, directs its money. It's also, you know, speaking just personally for a second, it's frustrating sometimes for us because it's difficult to be able to quantify the amount of change that is being made as a result mm-hmm. of media. And obviously I'm talking about our henhouse, but there's other media that's much, you know, the mainstream media as well, of course, mm-hmm. as well as the arts. Yeah, the arts and media, which of course are, you know, the backbones of our henhouse. So mm-hmm. uh, for us, we can measure things like analytics uh, of mm-hmm. our listenership, but we can't measure who then goes out into their community and because of the you know hundreds and hundreds of our henhouse episodes for example learns about other work and goes out and gets involved in their community so i'm glad that there's other research being done i hope that media and the arts continue to be prioritized in that as well yeah i think that's a great point you know and i think that um it is sometimes you know there's sometimes a risk with these studies 
that we think too narrowly about direct dietary change. But I think there's really value to in just building greater social awareness of, of factory farming and also in terms of building a movement uh, and building a movement of people concerned about factory farming and determining, determined to combat factory farming. And I think that that's, you know, that's the area where our hen house and, and other podcasts and, and blogs uh, can make a really big difference in terms of building that community and that movement that can achieve far larger change in the long term. Yeah. It- and uh, we really just shouldn't be talking about factory farming. We need to be talking about all animal agriculture. Um, you know, uh, people. But but again, here here you have uh, you know a spokesperson from the uh, meat, dairy, fish, and egg industry. Um, you know, oddly enough, being embraced by the uh, the hosts. Uh, this should be a, a bit more of a confrontational. Uh, confrontational interview but um anyway um it's not just factory farming it's all animal agriculture that we have to oppose um and, but you know the humane society of the united states and its uh, satellite of uh, groupy groups seem to think that um that uh you know if, if some if, if meat is labeled pasture raised or grass fed uh somehow that's okay um, there, there isn't enough land, and of course, that's environmental devastation—the the grazing of the land and uh, the, you know, if we're talking about, you know, cows who are not as confined as their, uh, you know, brothers and sisters and cousins uh, who are harshly confined, um, you know, they're out there and they are producing four hundred percent the methane of uh, those who are harshly confined. Um, and of course, they they are to be uh, they are to be killed. Also, it's really it's all a- animal agriculture. It's not just factory farms. And what is a factory farm? You know, what's a family farm? You know, I mean, um, it's uh, it's all horrendous. It's interesting. It's just, I, I taught my first class of the semester um, last night, um, uh, and at, at Columbia Law. And mm-hmm. I went around the class, and I always ask students what they're interested in. And, you know, each year, more and more mention that it's factory farming that brought them mm-hmm. into the class. But they're hardly ever in the midst of dietary change. Mm-hmm. They're kind of... And when they oppose factory farming, then they seek out the uh, supposed humane, humanely farmed animal products. So, you know, what's... Uh, this, this, is, this is all a big part of the sellout. Oh, Good. I, I buy the proper uh, meat, dairy, fish, and eggs. I buy the uh, you know meat, dairy, fish, and eggs with the the label, the you know certified humane. It's not from a factory farm. So uh, there again, the uh, the the seal of approval on products derived from animals by what's supposed to be an animal rights movement that really is basically. I mean, let's face it. It it is. Um, it, it, it's, it's the animal exploitation movement, uh, right here, uh, pretending, uh, to be animal advocacy. But as I said, uh, it, it is apparent now that, you know, uh, it's, uh, you know, dead meat. The animal rights movement is dead meat, uh, when you see the kind of uh, financial corruption now that has turned it into the animal annihilation, uh, advocacy movement wondering whether they should be in the midst of dietary change. But the fact that something has, whatever it is, has gotten them to the fact 
point of worrying about it, that's pretty hard to measure, but it's enormously important. Yeah, I, I completely agree. You know, and I, I actually think we sometimes, um, we sometimes set up dietary change as kind of a barrier to people becoming involved in this movement. You know, I've personally been vegan for over a decade, but I, I do think that it's really exciting when people start to care about factory farming, when they start to change their diet a little bit, when they start to speak up about it, post things on Facebook. And so, you know, I really like that idea of just taking people where they're at and so he uh, opposes uh, dietary change, uh, really. He, th- he thinks that that kind of uh, gets gets in the way of people getting into the movement when the dietary change is really what's primary, what, what should be first, you know? It's like he wants to meet people wherever they are. Well, wherever they are, uh, the next step should be to go vegan, um, if he would think about it. But again, uh, he is... Uh, self-admitted uh no nothing and welcoming people into this movement as much as possible um, welcome welcome to the movement uh you can now have your uh, uh certified humane eggs uh you can have your uh crate-free pork uh you know welcome to the movement and if we get dietary change that's that's definitely all the better but it's it's not the only goal here yeah why not and, and believe me, I'm, it, it's my goal in my class. <laughs> but don't tell them that. Um, but you talked about meat reduction and veganism. Uh, do you think that meat reduction is, is a more effective ask? I know that we've seen that, that there's at least a common belief within the movement that the reduction in the number of animals killed is at least partially due to the fact that people are eating less meat. And there's mm-hmm. a feeling that that's a more effective thing to ask people. I know this is a little off of what you're doing, uh, you know, but, but it's such an important question in effectiveness. Do you, do you think it, it's, it's a problem to ask people to go vegan? You know, I, I'm afraid the answer is I don't know. Uh, and here we go again. <laughs> Three strikes and you're out. Um, his answer to the most important questions that he uh, receives during this interview, uh, his answer is, I don't know. I don't know. So um, since he doesn't know, he will err on the side of animal exploitation and make sure that uh, everyone for whom he advocates, advocates, um, is tortured, mutilated, and murdered because uh, he doesn't know uh, about uh, anything about uh, vegan advocacy. Uh, I um, This is actually something that I want to research. I love that answer. <laughs> and she, again, she loves his answer that he doesn't know. So he he's really being being encouraged here <laughs> as, uh, as a know-nothing. You know, it's like, Wow, you're really impressing us with your with your lack of knowledge. I mean, we we really we appreciate that that you know, sounds like you really don't don't know anything and uh you know, we think that's great for the movement. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, hopefully uh hopefully if you have me back in a year, I might be able to answer that question a little better. But uh, you'll, you'll know everything now. by then, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but um no, for now, I, I really don't know. And um, and you know. and there you have it. <laughs> I mean, that, that's basically it. Uh, somebody who doesn't know what he's doing, controlling millions of dollars, um, affecting 
uh, the the lives and deaths of animals. This is, this is so impressive. Uh, we're listening to an interview. We're listening to an interview with uh, Lewis Bollard, um, who is a, an operative from the Humane Society of the United States, who was hired by the Open Philanthropy Project um, to run its animal welfare com- campaigns uh, because uh, he doesn't know anything. You know, I think, I think it's a super important question, and I, I do hope that we, we get closer to, a, to an answer. You know that saying, I'm going to mess it up, but it's something like the older I get, the less I realize I know or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just think it's it's so refreshing to hear you talking like this because, you know, I've been an activist for 50, over 15 years and, mm-hmm. and Marianne's been an activist, an animal activist since the mid-90s. And I don't know the answer and I don't claim mm-hmm. to. And, you know, when I, back in, I think, 2008, let, let's just have a big I don't know fest right here. And, uh, you know, we're, we're just so proud of, of not knowing. It's so refreshing hearing people not knowing. Maybe, maybe we should have a not knowing festival and we'll all just eat, you know, a, a nice plate of, uh, uh, you know, cage-free scrambled eggs. I toured around California with, with Prop 2 and... I- she toured around California with Prop 2. Again, um, another way of saying, you know, I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, Prop 2, a disaster for chickens, a disaster for chickens. Uh, but again, the seal of approval to where everybody thinks chickens have it great in California because Proposition 2 passed uh, when nobody really knows what it meant. Nobody knows if it meant they were supposed to be cage-free. Um, other producers like, uh, was it, uh, what is it, uh, J.W. West or, what, you know, that egg producer in California who said, well, I interpret this to mean um, modified furnished battery cages. So we'll use those. And uh, what used to be an animal rights movement used to oppose modified furnished battery cages, saying they were unacceptable uh, for the birds, physiology, psychology. Uh, the same groups who turned around and became partners with the egg industry and then supported those battery cages. Uh, these groups, uh, you know, who uh, are getting all these grants all supported those battery cages. Uh, now they support the battery cage known as, you know, cage-free egg production hen houses. There might as well be battery cages. Um, and nobody will err on the side of asking people to go vegan, taking these millions of dollars to ask people not to eat eggs at all instead of cage-free eggs or not to eat pigs at all instead of uh, crate-free pork or, you know, whatever other... Um, you know, marketing PR uh, kind of scam. They want to you know, label the animals so people will go on eating them. And, uh, you know, they don't hear about going vegan as the only solution. I was working for Farm Sanctuary at the time. And we- and Farm Sanctuary is another one of those groups who has sold out the animals um, and supported those battery cages. And, uh, you know, There you go. Farm Sanctuary supporting John Mackey and Whole Foods and its animal exploitation uh, practices. So, you know, this this, you know, maybe you could you when when you when 
when could you have called it an animal rights movement? But it's formerly an animal rights movement. They are all they are all part of an animal annihilation advocacy movement right now. We were on tour with HSUS, so we were all together. It was like maybe six of us, and you know, Paul should on tour with HSUS. Uh, okay, well. Right there. there. There's the problem. We're on tour with a rancher advocacy group that poses as an animal advocacy group. Uh, it doesn't protect any animals. Paul, Paul Shapiro was vice president of Farm Animal Protection, and none of these animals are protected. They're all killed, 100% of them. Shapiro was one of the people. And we would go around with the farm sanctuary group, me and one other guy had this truck with us that showed the footage of, you know, confinement and factory farming. And we would just drive around and park like in a very busy area and show it. And it was amazing. Uh, It was shocking. And the leaflets that we handed out to people, they said, you know, support this, this, and and also go vegan, which, you know, was different messaging than the leaflets that the HSUS folks had. Which was, ah, you know, of course of- it was different for uh, it that that's nice to hear that Jasmine Singer was handing out flyers that said go vegan and as you heard of course that's a different message from what HS US uh, presents kind of like ending at um, ending at the support for for the ballot initiative mm-hmm. anyway uh, it, I I don't know if I would personally do that again mm. as, Oh, good. As an activist who's evolved in the last however many years, it's been eight years, um, to have a, a different set of skills and talents and interests in this movement. But I don't think I was wrong then. And I think it's mm-hmm. so short-sighted well, for activists to just criticize everyone else's tactics when we're in a complete catastrophe right now. And we don't know the right answer and we need a multi-pronged approach. And and I, I guess I'm going on a little bit of a tangent here. but you- Well... I don't know that we need a multi-pronged approach because, you know, you kind of get stabbed with the prongs, you know, the more prongs, the more stabbing. Just everything you're saying is making me think of that. And I'm so grateful that you're. Our multi-pronged approach is, uh, well, I don't know if it's so much a prong as it is, uh, you know, a knife. Putting in such professionalism and, and research into the work you're doing. Professionalism. He said he doesn't know anything. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I completely, uh, yeah, no. completely agree with, with everything you just said, you know, and I had a really interesting uh, conversation two days ago with a major donor in this field. And something that I love is that he makes a precondition for his grants that groups don't attack other groups. And he says, you know, it's, it's really important to him that it's, it's okay to have disagreements. So now we're against freedom of speech. Uh, groups don't attack other groups. But uh, as I said, I am not in the same movement. So I'm attacking. Uh, I'm I'm attacking groups. Uh, I'm I'm attacking meat, dairy, fish, and egg industry groups. I'm not attacking, you know, anybody with whom I identify. It's okay to debate. But we, we shouldn't be attacking other people or other groups that are out there in good faith trying to reduce animal suffering or end factory farming or end animal suffering. It's, uh, you know, why should we believe you? Sense. Why, why should we believe him? Who appointed him to represent animals? Who appointed the Humane Society of the United States to represent animals when they are apparently representing these great money interests? You know, it's, uh, 
as I said, the, the Humane Society of the United States has uh, has agriculture councils in many states. Their multi-pronged approach is uh, animal farming in many states. Their multi the, the uh, approach of the HSUS is uh, distribute uh, discounts, bacon uh, coupons, you know, discounts for 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 pig flesh, bacon. Uh, the Humane Society of the United States multi-pronged approach is to uh, sponsor an event that has different hooved animals eaten every night, you know, on consecutive nights at restaurants in Denver. So, um, you know, please, uh, freedom of speech in whom we can criticize, especially, you know, if uh, if you are not we. Yeah, we really are, especially at this juncture where we really would. I mean, this is a big lift we're looking for <laughs> mm. trying to change a lot of the way the world works. And for anybody. If we're trying to change a lot of the world, why aren't we asking for uh, you know what we want the world to be. Why aren't we asking people to go vegan? Why are we uh, becoming uh, egg salesmen? We're, we're we're basically chicken salesmen. Eggs. We're meat, dairy, fish, and egg salesmen. Um, and uh, you know, if we if we want to change the world, we have to ask people to go vegan rather than. Uh, Hey, want to buy a dozen eggs? Ready to pretend that they do have, even if you have the answer, you shouldn't be attacking other people. But oh, I, I'm sorry, I had the answer. It's to go vegan. And excuse me for I don't mean to be attacking you. Uh, I'm uh, attacking uh, what's happening here. None of us have the answer, which brings up a question. We I... she says she doesn't know. He says he doesn't know, and then she says none of us has the answer. Well, how do I know that she knows none of us has the answer? I think we touched upon, but I'd like to go into a little more, and, and that's measurability bias. Mm -hmm. I know that some people in the animal protection movement question whether focus on effective altruism principles. At this particular juncture in the movement, when we still don't really know enough about how to achieve change, we'll shut down innovation. It'll get mm -hmm. everybody focused on, you know, all of a sudden everybody will be, in, in you know, giving money to fight battery cages and mm -hmm. no money will be going to anything else and mm -hmm. we won't know we won't be able to figure out what's effective because we won't be doing that much do you think that's a risk and how do you counter it yeah i mean i think it's a risk um i don't think it's necessarily where effective altruism leads i mean i think uh, it can kind of be a pretty narrow interpretation of effective altruism as i see effective altruism it's more about how do we bring about the greatest change in this area and you know, it's it's great if there are quantifiable ways and, and ways that we've proven that, that work. But I think we also have to be willing to take risks. And this is something I actually really appreciate at the Open Philanthropy Project is, you know, these people come in with a pretty effective altruist mindset, but they want to take risks and they want to do uh, they want to do things kind of outside of the envelope and they want to test new ideas. And they're, promoting they're veganism sounds to, like that to take kind of a gamble on things that could have a big change. So, you know, even though um, our first set of grants may sound kind of a little cautious and, and sticking with battery cage reforms, which are, you know, clearly seem to be working right now. Oh, so that's what it's called. It's called battery cage reforms. So tell that to every male chick being ground alive or suffocated, every female who uh, is mutilated and uh, then uh, harshly confined with thousands of other birds before uh, she's uh, she's murdered. Um, that is uh, battery cage reform. 
I think we're definitely open to all kind of ideas across the board and and really fostering new ideas and thinking outside of the box about ways that could work. And, and I think other people should should think in the same terms. Think about, you know, not just what works now, but what could work in the future and what might work even better if we're willing to take a risk now. How about asking yeah, people I'm to really go vegan? I'm glad to hear that because I think there's a really important place for research, but there's also an important place for intuition, at least informed intuition, and risk-taking allows you to tap into some of that about Intuition, intuition says ask people to go vegan. have a huge payoff. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the huge problems, of course, in getting people to donate to farmed animal advocacy is that they're eating animals. Mm-hmm. And so they have like, you know, a certain <laughs> bias about the whole issue. Mm-hmm. How do you, what is the most effective way to get people who aren't vegan or vegetarian to recognize this as an important issue and to, and to come up with some money for farmed animal advocacy? Yeah. I mean, I'm afraid I don't have a good answer to that one either, but, uh... <laughs> well, ask the expert, <laughs> right? Ask ask the most important person in the uh, animal rights movement a question, and uh, we're we're pretty sure of the answer we're going to get. Uh, I, I do think that this issue resonates with different people in different ways. You know, so for me, probably the biggest factor in, in getting me to go vegan was seeing uh, horrific images, you know, undercover investigations on on factory farms and slaughterhouses. Um, but I think for other people, that's, that's just not how they get into the issue. And I think, you know, obviously some people relate to this through an environmental lens, for a public health lens, for a global hunger lens. Um, and for other people, it's, it's more about a positive image. It's more about a, a positive relationship that they formed with their dog or with another animal. Um, so I do think we should constantly be thinking about the different ways that we can connect this issue to different people. Um, but all of is to say, I, I don't really know right now, and, and I certainly don't know for different people uh, what way it works, but I, I agree as well that we should, we should definitely be thinking about that, and that's definitely a high priority to bring more people into this movement. Lewis, I think it's fair to say that you might at this moment be the most important person in directing the future of the farmed animal protection movement <laughs> in the U.S. No fresh. <laughs> Did you hear that? They consider him to be the most important person in the farmed animal protection movement. Uh, and uh, what are his qualifications? He doesn't know. <laughs> where do you think we are and where are we headed, both in the U.S. and globally? Yeah, I mean, I feel optimistic. You know, I think um, obviously everyone listening to this knows that there's there's a huge problem and there is a huge amount of suffering and uh you know factory farming is, is still increasing and meat consumption is still increasing in much of the world um so you know there's still a huge problem but i feel really optimistic about about the solution i think that we've got some amazingly committed activists working on this both in the united states but increasingly around the world i think that we've seen uh we're starting to see for the first time ever major reductions in meat consumption and major reductions in the intensity of suffering on factory farms. Um, so, you know, I, I don't think I, um, I can predict where we'll be 10 or 20 or 30 years from now, but I'm definitely hopeful that, that the current trends will continue, the trends of people uh, eating less meat, of more people thinking about veganism, uh, of more plant-based options coming onto the market. 
uh, of more key tree pledges and more animal welfare pledges by companies of governments in Europe uh, regulating these practices. Um, I'm hopeful about all of those things, but I also think that you know we we can't predict uh, what other uh, what other exciting opportunities will come along. I think that we can just make it more likely if we redouble our commitment to the cause, if we do everything we can to bring more resources into the cause and to try out new ideas. You know, it's interesting that we're at a moment where it looks like we're just beginning to to see this synergy between the charitable side of the animal protection movement and actually this whole, you know, kind of disruptive food technology coming mm-hmm. on board and having real potential to produce, you know, I mean, it, it's attracted quite a bit of um, venture capital. Do you, and has potential to make people a lot of money. Do you see a real synergy between these two movements, one not-for-profit, one for-profit? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's been so exciting to me to see the success of Hampton Creek, to see the success of Beyond Meat, um, you know, to see the success of Impossible Foods, a number of these other companies in Silicon Valley, and also to see how many high-profile figures in Silicon Valley you have supporting these companies like Bill Gates, like Jerry Yang. Um, So, you know, it is my hope that as some of these, particularly some of these these wealthier supporters of these uh, technologies get more involved with these companies, that they'll also uh, get involved on the charitable side. And, you know, I mean, our thinking for now is we want to stay more on the charitable side and and less on the for-profit side because I think there's probably more of a gap uh, on the charitable side right now. But uh, I definitely think there's a synergy down the road, and I, I'm really hopeful that that will draw more people into the animal move. Mary, I'm busy recording. I, I, I need another half hour. I, I, I need another half hour. One of the huge problems, of course, in getting people to donate to farmed animal advocacy is that they're eating animals. Mm-hmm. And so they have like, you know, a certain <laughs> bias about the whole issue. Mm-hmm. How do you, what is the most effective way to get people who aren't vegan or vegetarian to recognize this as an important issue and to, and to come up with. Uh, what other uh, what other exciting opportunities will come along? I think that we can just make it more likely if we redouble our commitment to the cause, if we do everything we can to bring more resources into the cause and to try out new ideas. You know, it's interesting that so- sounds like plans for a disaster, and uh, it's it's really true, as you will find out soon. We're at a moment where it looks like we're just beginning to to see this synergy between the charitable side of the animal protection movement and actually this whole, you know, kind of disruptive food technology coming mm-hmm. on board and having real potential to produce, you know, I mean, it, it's attracted quite a bit of um, venture capital do you, and has potential to make people a lot of money. Do you see a real synergy between these two movements, one not-for-profit, one for-profit? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's been so exciting to me to see the success of Hampton Creek, to see the success of Beyond Meat, um, you know, to see the success of Impossible Foods, a number of these other companies in Silicon Valley, and also to see 
how many high profile uh, figures in Silicon Valley you have supporting these companies like Bill Gates, like Jerry Yang. Um, so, you know, it is my hope that as some of these, particularly some of these, these wealthier supporters of these uh, technologies get more involved with these companies, that they'll also uh, get involved on the charitable side. And, you know, I mean, our thinking for now is we want to stay more on the charitable side and, and less on the for-profit side because I think there's probably more of a gap uh, on the charitable side right now. But uh, I definitely think there's a synergy down the road, and I, I'm really hopeful that that will draw more people into the animal movement as they're involved with these technologies. There's nothing like money to attract people. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, Lewis, nothing like money go, to corrupt people. For a minute, shall mm-hmm. we? <laughs> sure, sure. Okay, it sounds to me from the way the the lovely way that you speak that you're not from New Jersey or Alabama. <laughs> and and isn't it great that uh, animal suffering and exploitation are presented uh, by speaking lovely? Um, yes. Originally, where are you from? From New Zealand. And. What was your trajectory in in having your eyes opened to animal issues? Yeah, it was a really, you know, it was a really gradual path for me. The first uh, really vivid memory I have was being in Vietnam and, and walking into a live animal market. And, uh, you know, alongside of the chickens and the pigs and the ducks and cages, there were dogs and cats as well. And uh, it really kind of opened my eyes to you know, how they're all animals, they all think and feel in the same way. And, uh, you know, we, we treat some, uh, you know, at least we like to think we treat dogs and cats relatively well, but we, uh, we treat some so terribly. And I think that really got me thinking. Uh, I'd love to say. That got him thinking that sometime in the future, uh, would he consider, you know, what, what if what he uh, were advocating for chickens uh, would be implemented for dogs. I mean, what? Where's his thinking on that, right? I mean, what he's advocating. What? What if every uh, male puppy born were uh, ground alive or suffocated? Uh, what if every uh, female um, had her face cut off and then she was uh, put into a an overcrowded shed? Um, and that you know, because we we ate, uh, you know. Puppy egg. We, we, we ate dog eggs. Um, so we'll just have, uh, we'll, we'll get the dog eggs. And uh, then uh, when they're not producing many more dog eggs, we'll just kill all the dogs. Um, so that's, he's advocating that, you know, he's saying, well, you know, he's, he's seeing, he's, he's making a connection. He's connecting, you know, why do we do this to chickens? You know, why, why, why do we have this relationship with dogs and look at the, uh, you know, would would he advocate for dogs? What he is advocating and uh, financing for chickens? It got me to change my diet overnight, but it didn't. Um, oh, he must have stopped then, eating you know, dogs. I read a couple of books. I read Animal Liberation. I read Dominion, um, and I uh, and I watched a lot of uh, undercover investigations and videos online because I I wanted to know more. And uh, sort of the more I read, the more I watched. Uh, the more convinced I became that uh, I first needed to reduce my meat consumption and then I needed to go vegetarian and then ultimately I needed to go vegan. And then you decided to... Well, these days I think we know that uh, the path really is to go vegan directly. You know, had I known way back when, 
you know, uh, you know, we had I known, right? I mean, if we if we know what we know today, I think it becomes more of a direct path to vegan because, uh, you know, it's kind of nonsense to be talking about meat reduction. It's kind of nonsense to be non-vegan vegetarian. There's no point in non-vegan vegetarian if you're going to eat dairy and eggs. Uh, continue to eat meat there, because there's no there's no point. To, you went to school here. You went to, no big deal. You went to like Har- Harvard and Yale. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah. yeah, that's so snotty of you. Uh, we're we're so impressed is that now. The time when you moved to the United States? Yeah, exactly. Okay. And this is, at, at what point did you decide that this was going to be what you were going to dedicate your life to? Just when, you, like, in the process of reading Animal Liberation? And were you in high school when you kind of. Yeah. Yeah, I was in high school when I read those books, and I was uh, I was seventeen when I went vegetarian, and uh, it was probably at that point that I sort of realized that I should devote my life to this. And uh, you know, Too I bad. then spent the next seven or eight years Could wrestling about Harvard really and Yale education for uh, something. To devote my life yeah. to this, and I Decent. think uh, I think it's really easy something to productive. keep kind of coming up with rationalizations about why you won't, you know. And I I did a Harvard year and Yale, and he's not doing something productive. Myself what that a shame. I would just give lots of money to the cause and, and so on. And then I kind of realized uh, oh, he has lots in of law money. school ultimately really that if I was serious about this, it needed to be a full-time job and it needed to be what I spent all my time doing. And, and so that's how I got fully into it. And oh, just what a shame. totally off subject, what do you do <laughs> when you're unwinding? Like, What do you do for fun that has nothing to do with this? <laughs> yeah, I don't have a good answer to that. I um, I, oh, I don't another, have a lot of uh, okay. A lot well, that's I think time. probably. Uh, but you know, I go to the gym and and I read, and uh, that that's probably about as far as I get. But what do you read that hasn't? Do you read just like trashy novels ever? Or <laughs> I'm I'm afraid I don't. I uh, you know I try and read books that I that I think will be helpful in this cause and. Um, I, uh, I'm actually part of a book group with uh, Paul Shapiro and Erica Meyer and some other uh, activists. And That's so probably scary. most of my reading is, uh, is books uh, about activism Propaganda? or books about leadership or books about other things that might be helpful. How, how to deceive okay. the public? Your full time, Lewis. Relations. Yeah. <laughs> propaganda. Well, you're, you're very Books inspiring. About propaganda. And we're so grateful to you for all that you're doing, uh, and we're I, so I'm grateful really to you for all you're about doing. The way this is going to change the movement, and I know excited it will. about how it's it going to change is. the movement, and that's you know no coincidence that you're behind it, behind this particular branch of change. So please keep us posted as you start to be that person who knows all of the answers <laughs> and even if you don't come back because you're like a you know breath of fresh air for us so thanks again breath for all that air. you're doing to change the world for animals and just reiterate for our listeners how they could find thank you, you and, thank you thank and the you organization online for all you're doing yeah absolutely well thank you both for all you're doing for animals and you can find uh, the website at openphilanthropy.org and you can also email me at lewis at openphilanthropy.org and happy to, uh, happy to chat. So it's great to, great to talk to both of you. And to you. Take care. Well, wasn't that special? Wasn't that just great? We're all excited and thankful for the work he's doing. Um, I would have thought this would have been a more of a confrontational interview uh, with somebody considered to be a representative of, of a representative of the meat dairy fish and egg industry but it it turned out to be a love fest uh, and uh, 
I don't know why, because since that interview, um, Lewis Bollard has been very busy at work at the Open Philanthropy Project. And when we continue on Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden, I will tell you what he has been doing. And uh, I don't know, uh, would our hen house still be celebrating that? We will continue. Okay. Um, Oh, you can support the program with a tax-deductible donation. We're not getting any money from the Open Philanthropy Project, but you'll hear who is... Coming up on Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden. Donate at the website. Click donate at goveganradio.com. We continue on Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden at GoVeganRadio.com, on Twitter at GoVeganRadio, and Facebook, Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden. Yes, there are still the Bob Linden pages there. Uh, We're starting a Facebook group, so to make sure that I, instead of doing everything in triplicate, I do it in quadruplicate just to remain as uh, efficient as as I've uh, come to be. So... um, I'm really excited. It looks like next week I have to be in L.A. I'm going to pass through. Do I know the way to San Jose? Yes, I do. And I will uh, uh, take that path because I want to stop by Vegetarian House, one of my favorite vegan restaurants in the world. It is 100% vegan and organic. Totally delicious. Just a wonderful uh, vegan restaurant at 520 East Santa Clara Street. If you haven't... uh, been there you really owe it to yourself to check it out check out the menu at vegetarianhouse.us and vegetarian house also caters so 
If you have an event coming up in the Bay Area, a business event, a social event, you're getting married, uh, get in touch with Vegetarian House and you'll make sure that uh, the food is great. Uh, you know, what, what's an event, uh, you know, without great food, great people, great music? And uh, Vegetarian House is also looking forward to Radio Bobby. I keep saying I'm going to put a 24 uh, 7 online music station. Online, maybe if I uh, start a rumor that I, you know, the the goal for launching it is Memorial Day weekend, maybe I'll actually make that happen. I need deadlines. I need to, you know. So, uh, so I'm that's that's what I'm saying. Gonna put together uh, Radio Bobby, get all the music together, the music licensing fees paid to get started. Although that will be a regular expense, and I hope that. Maybe you'll support the program or support us because of Radio Bobby, because of our uh, environmental efforts, uh, because of our, you know, vegan efforts for, you know, for the animals. And uh, we are definitely opposed to uh, the craze now, the, you know, that's, that's, that's happening in you know, what used to be an animal rights movement, uh, you know, formerly known as the animal rights movement. Now, uh, the animal annihilation advocacy movement, um, as we will discuss again uh, moments from now. Um, but I also want to uh, give thanks for support of the program uh, to Evolution, dog and cat food. Yes, everybody in the family can be vegan, including the dogs and cats, and they will be very happy that way, as Daisy is. Um, and uh, you, uh, when you... Uh, Order your your first order of uh, dry food when you become a new customer of Evolution. You get twenty five percent off. Uh, there's a phone number to call, which is eight hundred six five nine zero one zero four. That's twenty five percent off on your first order of dry food. Now, uh, if you mark your calendar for the first Wednesday of the month, on the first Wednesday, if you order from Evolution, you get twenty percent off. Um, dry food, you get 10% off canned food. And uh, if you are um, experiencing financial challenges and you find it hard uh, to feed the uh, dogs and cats in your family whom you love, uh, get in touch with Evolution. And I'm sure um, Eric Weissman will be happy to work something out for you. Again, that phone number is 800-659-0104. There are new flavors for the dogs and cats to enjoy. Uh, Gourmet pasta, gourmet fondue. Uh, You can also order Maximum Life, which is a uh, grain-free, gluten-free um, hyperallergenic uh, formula, especially um, especially intended for urinary uh, tract health. And uh, in, in terms of uh, documentation, um, there is documentation, case histories of dogs living uh, over 21 years uh, eating evolution, cats living over 22 years eating evolution. Of course, no guarantees and no claims, but you know, you know, you know, the longevity uh, can be there, and it's you know has been shown. So, and again, so that phone number for ordering evolution is 800-659-0104. And uh, Evolution is excited about Radio Bobby 
coming online. I hope you're going to be excited about it again. I'm starting a rumor today uh, that the debut will be Memorial Day weekend, hopefully uh, that Friday of Memorial Day weekend, uh, so that you can uh, you know, just... Uh, Start start the summer season, you know, in, enjoying life, uh, barbecuing uh, vegan burgers and vegetables, and you know, you don't want to barbecue, you know, barbecue meat, and you know, when you barbecue flesh, that it, it forms these HCAs. It, it's just just makes meat even even more carcinogenic than it is by uh, barbecuing. Uh, flesh and you know so you, you can still have all the grilling with none of the killing just by uh you know getting veggie burgers and veggie dogs and vegetables on the grill and there are plenty of vegan you know if you need recipes for barbecuing stuff like that readily available online so you can you know, just check that out let me see. Daisy's getting impatient, but uh, Daisy, we just have to get through one more segment on the show. Uh, coming up uh, in just a little bit, we'll have uh, commentary from Professor Gary Francione, as we do on a weekly basis here. But um, you, you just heard the interview uh, that was on our hen house. Uh, so it was conducted with... Uh, Lewis Bollard, Lewis Bollard, who is uh, the director of animal welfare projects for uh, the Open Philanthropy Project. Um, he is a menace to animals, as is the Open Philanthropy Project. Uh, and uh, because of him and it, uh, we're seeing new heights or new depths of uh, animal betrayal by the groups who are supposed to um, advocate for them. And I, I, I just, I can't impress upon you enough that uh, th this is a disaster and that, that, that the groups have sold out. And I, I really, I can't understand how you would support any of these groups who are the beneficiaries of any money coming from the Open Philanthropy Project. And in the interview, we discussed the initial, um, in the interview, we discussed the initial grants by the Open Philanthropy Project and um, what has happened since then. Well, uh, if, you know, and, and we played that interview earlier in the show, if you're just joining us or however it might be that you're listening on whatever um, whatever, you know, self-surveillance uh, device you use. Um, oh, and by the way, Radio Bobby will be able to be heard on uh, any self-surveillance uh, self device that you use. So, you know, you'll be able to listen that way. Um, you know, I don't know. Sometimes, sometimes I lose sleep. I worry about, the, the CIA and, uh, you know, whenever we have technical problems, I wind up having to do the show over the course of a few days and invariably my computer shuts down. I lose whatever, you know, whatever, whatever uh, files I have open or tabs or whatever we call them. And uh, 
I'm sure it's just because the, the CIA is putting in some new virus into my computer, you know, that, uh, but it scares me because I, I think that it'll be able to, uh, you know, it'll just look at me through my laptop and, and see, you know, when I'm sleeping and then just levitate the laptop and, you know, slam it on my head. It's just a strange paranoia I have. But since I found out that the CIA can control your car, you know, when you're driving and make you drive off a cliff, I'm sure that there's a program uh, that can, you know, make it, you know, let it see when you're sleeping and just hit you over the head with a laptop. So that's why I'm losing sleep. I'm also losing sleep over, uh, you know, what uh, has been called an animal rights movement. Uh, I must refer to it as, you know, formerly the animal rights movement because it has become the animal annihilation advocacy movement. And we talked about the first grants given by the Open Philanthropy Project earlier. We heard about them in the interview. We heard that uh, initially, well, back in uh, January, February uh, 2016, we had the first three grants. The Humane Society of the United States uh, received uh, $500,000 to promote cage-free eggs. So that was uh, in the United States for the corporate cage-free campaign. $500,000 went to HSUS. Uh, the Humane League received a million dollars to promote uh, for, for the uh, corporate cage-free campaign. And Mercy for Animals received a million dollars to promote cage-free eggs. So basically, all of these groups are receiving money to become egg salesmen and to, uh, you know, to, to, to give what was their good name, you know, the, the, the seal of approval of, you know, those who are supposed to care about animals, a seal of approval to products that are, are, are cruel and torturous and murderous. That's what we're getting here. So after those first three um, grants, uh, then half a million dollars was given to the Global Animal Partnership General Support. That is uh, the scam, you know, an animal welfare scam, the, the five steps that uh, people have to go in order to get you know, the stamp of approval. So you'll buy their stuff at Whole Foods or whatever. Uh, just a PR scam from, uh, from the meat, dairy, fish, and egg industries. Um, then we have Compassion in World Farming uh, USA getting uh, a $550,000 uh, grant. Um, and compassion in world farming is is getting grants to promote you know it's good uh to promote you know oh, geez. to promote its uh, good egg program you know it's good meat yeah it, it's just all of this stuff is is promoting the consumption of uh of of, of products derived from animals so then in july of 2016 Again, the Humane Society of the United States, uh, but it's a uh, subsidiary. The Humane, Humane Society International received a million dollars for international cage-free advocacy. Now we're, now we're taking all of this abroad, all this cage-free nonsense. A million dollars to uh, Humane League International. Then after that, uh, in uh, August of 2016, we have uh, $500,000 going to Animal Equality International Cage-Free Advocacy. Uh, 
again in August, we have Humane Society International receiving a million dollars again. So um, that for international cage-free outreach. I'm sorry. Did I get this wrong? Okay, sorry, 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 sorry. Go back to July of 2016. July of 2016, and uh, that wasn't uh, that was the Humane League getting another million dollars. So that was up to two million dollars for Humane League. We're up to a couple of million dollars now for Mercy for Animals. Okay, well, uh, okay. So Humane League International gets a million dollars for uh, the Humane League gets a million dollars to promote international cage-free advocacy okay let me try to get that right um then in august animal equality gets five hundred thousand dollars international cage-free advocacy then in august humane society international gets a million dollars international cage-free advocacy then again in august Mercy for Animals gets a million dollars for international cage-free advocacy. Then uh, again in August 2016, People for Animals gets uh, 800, uh, almost yeah, 800, uh, almost 900 thousand dollars international cage-free advocacy. Uh, September 2016, we have uh, almost $100,000 going to Brighter Green Farm Animal Welfare Advocacy in China. We have a million dollars in September going to the Good Food Institute, which is uh, uh, part of Mercy for Animals, going toward it uh, and its support for... uh, Lab meat, you know, cultured meat, more animal products, more animal suffering, a million dollars for the Good Food Institute, you know, the campaign that goes along with lab meat where they promote saying, you know, meat is delicious and we're not going to stop eating it. And then they mislead people by saying, you know, zero percent suffering, 100 percent, you know, real meat. Um, Again, more deception from this whatever movement this is uh then last september uh wild aid received seven hundred thousand dollars uh for reducing meat consumption in china uh last uh, october uh world animal protection farm animal welfare advocacy in china um uh, you know, there are a lot of chickens and a lot of uh, pigs eaten in China. I don't know how they're going to find so so much room and space for all of these sheds to have these thousands and thousands of animals so people in China can feel good. You know, the people who have compassion for animals, uh, instead of uh, asking them to go vegan, we ask them to eat uh, all of this nonsense here. We're shoving this nonsense down their throat. Last October, uh, the forum... Nacional de Proteseo y Defesa Animal went to cage-free advocacy. Cage-free advocacy is, is uh, animal annihilation advocacy. Last uh, 
November, the Humane League, again, another million dollars general support to the Humane League for its uh, animal annihilation advocacy from uh, the Open Philanthropy Project. Uh, then uh, also last November, mercy for animals. Have mercy, have mercy. Another million dollars for mercy for animals. Now a broiler chicken welfare corporate campaign. Mercy for animals racking up, uh, getting uh, $3 million for itself, a million dollars for its uh, Good Food Institute. Woo! Uh, amazing here. And then also uh, last uh, November, the Humane Society of the United States, another million dollars for a broiler welfare corporate campaigns, it racking up about $5 million, $5 million from the uh, Open Philanthropy Project uh, for Animal Annihilation. Then we have last November, uh, $226,000 going to Green Monday promoting work in China. Uh, uh, let's see, what else do we have? We have uh, last December, Compassion Over Killing getting in on the act, a half a million dollars to Compassion Over Killing for broiler welfare campaigns, more animal annihilation. Uh, yeah, when those improvements are made, we, we approve of... Uh, you know, the chickens you eat, the eggs you eat, uh, the animal uh, annihilation advocacy movement uh, approves of those uh, animal products. Last uh, December, uh, we have uh, over half a million dollars going to the, uh, what is it, the Euro Group for Animals. This for fish welfare, so we can give a stamp of approval that uh, uh, fish on fish farms are being treated well. So feel free to eat fish. You don't have to go vegan when you have a stamp of approval from uh, these uh, sellout uh, uh, animal betrayal specialists here. Uh, let's see. Last December, we have $238,000 going to uh, Animal Welfare Standards Project for Farm Animal Welfare Advocacy in China. We have $120,000 going to Griffith University for Farm Animal Welfare Advocacy in China. Uh, $233,000 going to the Pollination Project for uh, Global Animal Advocacy Movement. Uh, we have the Albert Schweitzer Foundation last December receiving $111,000 for international cage-free advocacy. The Albert Schweitzer can, can, uh, Foundation uh, again receiving another $317,000 on top of that for fish welfare. Then Farm Forward. Uh, gets in on the act with $100,000 farm forward for chicken welfare advocacy for, uh, you know, uh, seal of approval. Uh, farm forward helped a, a farmer uh, uh, get an extension on his barn in Kansas uh, for heritage birds. So uh, we're, help we're, we're helping, we're helping the industry as best as we can to, uh, Profit as much as it as it can. Uh, le uh, let's see. So in February of this year, 2017, the Royal Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals uh, receives $453,000 for animal welfare advocacy in China. Again, all of this uh, 
you know, all of this gobbledygook for animal annihilation advocacy. Um, then we have another $378,000 going to the Norwegian Animal Protection um, Alliance for fish welfare. And then uh, February of this year, Compassion in World Farming, uh, getting uh, $765,000 for um, farm animal welfare advocacy in China. And let's see, in March of this year, $1,360,000 going to Humane Society International for East Asian uh, projects. And then most recently, uh, in March of this year, uh, so we have $255,000 going to the Gene Marching Center Farm Animal Welfare Advocacy in China. Millions and millions of dollars going toward animal annihilation, deception, and uh, just a complete sellout of the animals. Uh, the betrayal is complete. It's official. Uh, I don't know how anybody can call this an animal rights movement anymore. Uh, the situation uh, as it is. Uh, look at the work that Lewis Bollard did. Uh, you heard him on his interview months ago uh, from our hen house where he said he didn't have a clue about what he was doing. And uh, now he... I would say this this proves it what he's done since then, but I think he knows what he's doing. He's a representative of the uh, meat, dairy, fish, and egg industries, and uh, doing a very good job. Doing a very good job in uh, selling out the animals. And as I said here, how how can you how can you continue to support Mercy for Animals? It just got three million dollars. Uh, for animal annihilation advocacy, uh, four million if you can if you uh, include the Good Food Institute, the Humane Society of the United States again receiving almost five million dollars, um, and uh, the Humane League three million dollars. Compassion over killing uh, five hundred thousand dollars. So that's uh, that's over twelve million dollars right there. All uh, well, none of it dedicated toward vegan advocacy. You know, so it's uh, pretty amazing how uh, they're, they're all sold out. Will these groups be invited to speak at the uh, so-called Animal Rights Conference uh, coming up this year? Um, if they are, that certainly deserves a protest. I'll, I'll have to consider attending to, to, to protest because, I mean, this is blatant. This is obvious. How, how can anybody, uh, you know, can continue to be part of this conspiracy supporting these groups who have become they're basically uh they're egg salesmen they're uh they're chicken salesmen they're pork salesmen that's that's what uh the animal rights movement has become or you know now formerly known as the animal rights movement the animal annihilation advocacy movement there you have it uh okay well i guess that uh, just about does it uh, Daisy really wants to go for a walk so I guess we'll do that uh, we can uh, ponder this another you know this this corruption and uh, you know all, all it says is that uh, 
again, we have to take it upon ourselves. We, we have to reject these groups. We have to boycott these groups and uh, become active in vegan advocacy, not animal annihilation. So uh, coming up on the program, we will hear from Professor Gary Francione, and I want to uh, thank you for listening. Again, if you want to support vegan advocacy, you know, I don't know, are, are you still going to be giving any money to these groups? I mean, they, they found a windfall in the Open Philanthropy Project uh, supporting their uh, their work as uh, animal, betray- animal betrayal specialists. So I don't know how you can support them anymore. If you would like to support vegan advocacy, you can make a donation to us and we'll just keep on keeping on. All you have to do is find the donate button at goveganradio.com. We would greatly appreciate that. Uh, We're also at Patreon. Uh, You can become a subscriber for as little as a dollar a month. Uh, We get nothing like you just heard Uh, those groups receive and so we could certainly uh, use your support for the vegan cause by Professor Gary Francione of Rutgers University for his weekly commentary on Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden, some weeks with Professor Anna Charlton, some weeks uh, like this one on his own. Uh, their website is howdoigovegan.com. Um, and it is pretty amazing, isn't it, Gary? Uh, the, re- the revelations which I've been discussing on today's program, uh, to see such big, big money going from the Open Philanthropy Project, um, really buying off uh, an entire movement, uh, you know, another surprise in a world where nothing should surprise us. I'm listening with interest to what you're saying. I mean, I guess I'm not surprised, and, and, um, you know, I mean, everything seems to be um, just so peculiar. You probably heard the news that... um, Earlier this evening, the director of the FBI was uh, was fired, uh, and um, really quite remarkable, uh, and, and echoing sort of the Saturday Night Massacre that he, that occurred many years ago when Richard Nixon fired Archibald Cox and Elliot Richardson and um, Ruckelshaus refused to, uh, well, actually refused to to fire uh, Cox after he, they were ordered by the president, but. We're seeing a sort of a repeat of that, sort of interesting, but um, but obviously, Bob, things are not going well in the animal movement, and I, I I basically see it 
as a um, as a as a sort of a of a of a, of a conflict between those who reject um, uh, the deontological or the rights position and um, and those who embrace it. I mean, you know, you have, you know, we're in a, we're at a time where to take a moral position on animals and say that, you know, I'm opposed to animal exploitation, absolutely, um, is is a very frightening position for a lot of people. And um, and they they react uh, against it pretty strongly. They reject it, and um, they characterize it in really very negative ways. I mean, I find it just remarkable um, that you know if we were in, if we were in in America in 1730, slavery was going on, and we objected to slavery. I would like to think that you know many of us would have been absolute in our rejection of slavery that we just thought it was bad and that we wouldn't support it and that that you know there was really no there was no compromise able to be made but now if you speak that way about animals uh, other animal people will trash you and they will uh, denigrate you because they think that you're being judgmental, well, you know, yes, not judgmental about people, but judgmental about actions and judgmental about animal exploitation. But it's a real, um, there's a real fundamental uh, crisis going on um, in the in amongst animal people, in, in that it's just two very different ways of of of, of viewing things. And I think that increasingly. Um, Animal people are um, are gravitating to this this idea that uh, that as long as it's reducing suffering, it's okay. But anything can be characterized as reducing suffering, uh, and and the simple idea of reducing suffering, which in many cases doesn't happen at all, but even even if it did in some marginal ways, it's not shifting the paradigm. I mean, I I, I mean it, it's. As I as I've said before, when I wrote Rain Without Thunder in nineteen or yeah nineteen ninety six, I thought things were getting bad. I never thought they'd be this this bad. Where there really is no rights movement at the at the level of the large animal welfare corporations, there is no rights movement anymore. Uh, this is absolutely not. Well, no, it's not going to change their minds. What it's going to do is just give more and more people an incentive. To go into animal advocacy so they can ride the gravy train. I mean, you know, you, you look at what's happening now with this nonsense with reducitarianism. All right, so we've had this idea for a long time. This idea about, you know, uh, we've talked we've talked about flexitarianism, which was basically not being a vegan. You know, I mean, you can you can be a vegan sometimes, but not all the time. So therefore, you can be a flexitarian. You reduce your intake of animal products, which is really a wonderful thing. Right. Exactly. You know, we've had this idea of being vegan before six, meat-free Monday. Now this guy comes along and and claims to have invented reducitarianism, um, and and you know he's getting a fair amount of coverage. Why? Because he's saying exactly what the animal exploitation industries, 
want him to say, which is you can, you can discharge your, your obligations to animals by simply reducing your intake of animals. Now, obviously, that's not an animal rights position. That's not consistent with an animal rights position. But it makes people feel good. They can say, well, I'm a reducitarian. And, and this fellow claims that, you know, this is how you can get a lot of people to become vegan. What's really interesting is he's been doing this reducitarian stuff for several years now, and he's not a vegan. So, you know, I mean, but, but, but look, you see, you see that if you take a rights position, all, you know, you get attacked by the large animal welfare groups. Um, you get a lot of grief. But if you take a pro-exploitation position, you get a lot of support. You, get, you, know, you can go to the public and say, here, here's the stamp of approval on your continued exploitation of animals. You can get all sorts of financial support from these various entities. You can have conferences in New York where you charge people $500 to attend the conference, and you can talk about how poor people can't go vegan, so therefore there's no obligation to go vegan. You can do all that sort of stuff. It is nothing. And this is not going to do anything to stop animal exploitation. All of this is geared toward one goal, making it all more palatable morally to people so that they can continue to consume animals. That's all this is about. And so we've lost the idea that abolitionists had in the 18th century, in the first part of the 18th century, where they said, we've got to abolish this. This is a moral outrage. That's, that's gone from the, the there, there are millions of dollars going all over the place for this from uh, people with more money that you know they don't know what to do with it it's uh, there's Facebook money Instagram money and, uh, and they're allowing it to be um, controlled by a former agent of uh, HSUS who works for them but you know so uh, um, this Lewis Ballard worked work for HSUS so there's a big grant for HSI this time around, you know, I mean, it's just, it's, it's amazing. Farm forward, so many of these uh, people who are going to put it to really nasty use, you know, and, and I don't see Go Vegan Radio on that list anywhere. I don't know what it is, you know, and, uh, oh, well. <laughs> well, if you're not, if you're not going to deliver the happy message, if you're not going to, if you're not going to say, let's celebrate the happy exploitation of animals, Let's pat ourselves on the back because ultimately it's really just about us anyway, isn't it? I mean, it's this sort of cultural narcissism where, you know, it's all about us and all about how we feel and all about, uh, you know, all about our interests and our needs. Nothing to do with the animals. As a matter of fact, um, the animal movement has betrayed the animals. There's no doubt about it. Well, about if, it. if you're an annihilation movement, you know, I mean, everybody gets, uh, uh, you know, tortured and uh, um, and killed, and you know, a hundred percent of you know the those for whom uh, they are supposedly advocating all these groups. So, um, if they're all tortured, mutilated, and killed, that's not very not not very good advocacy. It's advocacy for annihilation, and, and that's that's what it's become. Indeed, you know. Well, and, and I, I as want... you mentioned, it's 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 about how we feel. Again, I feel that the animals in these conditions will be a hundred percent miserable. Uh, they'll never think, "Wow, it could have been worse." You know, it's only how we feel. We feel 
like, oh, now it's a cage-free egg, so, um, you know, we feel... Oh, no, Bob, it actually, actually, actually it's, it's, it, it goes further than that. It's, it's, if you feel uncomfortable when I suggest to you that veganism is a moral imperative, then what matters is you feel uncomfortable, and I'm a bad person for making you feel uncomfortable, because it's not about the animals. It's about whether you feel comfortable or uncomfortable. That's what it's about. And so, so, you know, I mean, this, this is, it's really, it's, it's, it's quite bad. However, there are a lot of people who see through this. There are a lot of people who don't. There are a lot of people who see through it. And those people are the vegan movement. Those people are promoting veganism. Those people are not interested in the corruption, the utter corruption that is now called the animal movement. They're just, they're not, they realize what it is. They see it for what it is. They see through it. And they want nothing to do with it. Um, there are a lot of them out there. There are a lot I, of them. I, I hope there will be more when they, when they see... Um, the kind of uh, financial corruption that's, uh, that, that's well, going no, on. It's a big monster. For, for the people who are, there are a lot of people, Bob, who, um, there will be more people who will be attracted to that because of the finances and the money flowing into it. There will be more people who are attracted to it. I don't think the fact that there's a lot of money attached to it is going to um, upset a lot, you know, some of these people. I, I mean, you know, the, the people who are who are attracted to that welfare model, to the whole single issue campaign thing, to the whole, you know, to the whole, you know, veganism is a is is not a moral imperative. It's a matter of the who you are, space, and all of that nonsense. The people who are attracted to that are going to continue to be attracted to that, and there'll be more of them because they'll see all the money that's flowing in. This is a business buy. Yeah, there'll there'll be more yeah. jobs available, I guess, too. Yeah, right, I mean, right, right. But there, but there are lots of people who do see through it. And, you know, there are an increasing number of people who see through it. There are an increasing number of people who realize that there's a simple message out there, which is, if animals matter, you go vegan. It's that simple. You know, that, that if animals matter, you can't impose any level of suffering and death on them if there's no compulsion, if, the, if there's no need, then if animals matter, you simply can't inflict suffering or death on them. To any degree, you simply can't use them. If they matter morally, you can't. Then they can't be things. It's a logical proposition. If they matter morally, they can't be things because things are entities that do not matter morally. So if animals matter morally, they can't be entities that don't matter morally. It's a logical thing, and it's really quite a simple concept. And and I think that as you know that that that. Um, there is, you know, a lot of people understand that, an increasing number of people understand that. And there will be more and more people who understand that and who, who have decided that what they're going to do is go vegan and promote veganism as a moral imperative, uh, you know, with all of the, the people in their lives. And that's really, you know, how ideas get, get started and, 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 um, and, you know, how, how, how ideas change. Because what the corporate movement is doing is not, they're not changing anything. They're not, what they're doing is promoting this idea of happy exploitation. There's a lot of money flowing into it. People want to continue to eat animals. And so the people who, the people who want to be willfully blind will have more and more enablers who will help them be willfully blind. 
but there are a lot of people who don't want to be willfully blind. There are a lot of people who are seeking a better way of thinking about the issue. And those people will be attracted to veganism and to veganism as a, as a moral imperative. You know, this Makes weekend... Makes sense to me. Makes sense to yeah, me. Yeah, I mean, this weekend, um, uh, Gary Steiner and his partner came and stayed with us. Uh, Gary is a professor of philosophy at Bucknell University. And... Um, we recorded a couple of uh, video blogs that were that are going up on my Facebook page. Uh, we did one on reducitarianism. Um, we did one on, on um, moral and on, on, on how rationality isn't enough. You have to be concerned about morality. Uh, and we talked about um, some other issues. And we did we did like, two or three of these things. And uh, we did a lot of talking this weekend about about how you know about about the state of the movement, as it were. And uh, we also visited a couple of really great vegan restaurants, I must say. And, um, where? And the restaurants were where? Uh, they were uh, in the Philadelphia area. We, we went to one called the Greyhound Cafe, um, which uh, was in a suburb of Philadelphia, uh, a, a fairly new restaurant. Um, very good, uh, really very tasty stuff. And um, and a place called Vegan Street, which was in Philadelphia, uh, a, a very good place as well. Um, different sorts of food. Vegan Street had more of a sort of an, an Asian flair, and uh, the Greyhound Cafe was mostly Mexican, Italian, and actually had some Jewish um, some Jewish dishes. It was, a, it was an interesting place. I liked them both very much. What, what um, would the Jewish dishes be? Would you? What were they? Uh, well, I had a sashuka, which is. Um, uh, I don't know that it's strictly Jewish. I mean, it's certainly something you can get in Israel, but um, it's uh, it's a it's a tomato um, uh, a dish, a spicy tomato uh, sort of sauce, and and the non-vegan version of it is made with eggs, um, and obviously this one was not, and uh, it was, what was made it with shakshuka, and he ha he also had a, a white he had a he had a white fish. That wasn't fish, but he had a whitefish thing, so, you know, uh, a whitefish meal um, that was um, that was a, a Jewish dish, and um, and you know I don't eat the fake meat stuff, and um, so that was not something I I was interested in trying, but the shakshuka was really very good. I have to say it was just it was it was really incredible, and um, uh, but you know but then whereas Vegan Street. Um, uh, um, it has more of a sort of an Asian place, not not exclusively, but it's more. It, it is more of an Asian place. It was really very good. I mean, it was. Um, they both were really excellent restaurants, both reasonably priced. Um, the food was excellent in both places, um, and you know, it's it's interesting to see those places. It, it, what's really interesting is to see those places um, uh, really attracting a lot of people. Um, that's really good. I mean, uh, it, it's it's um, the the Greyhound Cafe. The man who uh, Joseph Solar, who uh, who started it, is really interested in sort of getting non-vegans. There's nothing you, you didn't you don't know it's a vegan restaurant. It just says the Greyhound Cafe. I didn't know I didn't know it was a vegan place until uh, somebody uh, said to me, "Have you tried the vegan cafe or the Greyhound Cafe?" And I said. Um, I said, no, why should I do that? <laughs> and they said, it was a vegan place. I said, you're kidding me. And they said, no. And, and so when we went in, um, we talked with the owner for quite a while, and he, he was saying that, you know, uh, he's really interested in getting people in who, uh, 
are interested in trying uh, plant-based foods, but you know who don't really know much about them, and and they, they he wants skeptical people. He wants people to bring people who are skeptical about uh, vegan food, and um, and I can see, you know, I, I I mean, it's the sort of place where if you bring somebody who says, ah, you know, you vegans, you don't eat anything interesting, you could bring them to this place, and they would see that um, that many of the things that they that they think of as food have vegan. Uh, analogs. As I say, I don't eat the fake meat stuff, so when I go into these places, I, I generally avoid that. You know, I mean, I understand people like that stuff, and they're fine, and it's better to eat, obviously, to eat, um, you know, a, a vegan analog than a, a non-vegan food of any sort. Yeah. But, um, when but I, I, when I, I was on KTLK in Los Angeles, the uh, Clear Channel staff uh, couldn't wait to take me out to lunch, like all of them. It was like they're going... If, if this is vegan food, I can eat like this, you know? So a lot of it has to do with try the food, try the food, you know? I mean, uh, What's really interesting, and I've been, I said this on, when we were there on, um, we actually went there on Sunday, and I was, when I, we were talking with the owner, I said, what I, one of the things I find really interesting is when I go to these events at the university, they always have, you know, I, when, I'm, when, I'm, when I go to an event, I always tell them, you've got to have vegan food for me, which means... You know, no meat, no cheese, no eggs, no butter, blah, 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 blah. I give them a list of stuff that they can't, I can't have. No, not no even eggs? I always get yeah. that. Not even eggs? <laughs> yeah, not even eggs. Always... No sugar, no sugar. No, why? What's wrong with sugar? I explain that. Um, and what's really interesting is I go to these events, and they have vegan food. They put it out on the table. By the time I get there, if, if it's one of these things where you have to stand in a line, by the time I get there... The vegan food's always gone, yes. and I, I I I find it interesting, and um, because you know, people, I was at a, I was at a meeting last week, and they had vegan food. There were there's several of us who are vegans, so they had you know they had a number of vegan things at this meeting. We all had to get into a line and get our food. By the time I got anywhere near the table, it was gone. It was absolutely everything was gone. And so I think I think that you know people are seeing more and more that the stuff that we eat's really good. <laughs> you know, it's it's really you know we don't eat styrofoam and cardboard. Really, we have the best food. That the secret is we have the best food. Well, exactly. we have the only food. The other nothing. Animals aren't food. You know, and you know that. Exactly. And so you know, but but um, so I I do I really do think on some level, um, yeah, it's. It's discouraging, Bob, when you report some of the things that you were reporting before about, you know, the the large amount of money f going into this pro pro happy exploitation nonsense. Yes, it is. It's 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 depressing. Um, but the world's depressing. There's a lot of really horrible stuff going on because we are at a time of intense narcissism where uh, our concern for the other. Is um, is at a, is at a low, and um, you know that's that's clear, and and it's reflected in all aspects of society. It's not just the animal movement; it's every place else, and but it's in the animal movement as well. And you would think that well, you know, there should be an exception that animal people should should you know that there should be an exception where animal people are concerned because we're concerned about the other. And the answer is no. No, 
the idea has been reinterpreted through the lens of narcissism that we're interested in the individual only insofar as it reflects on us. And, and we're only interested in how we feel about the other. We're not concerned about the other. We're concerned about how we feel about the other. So, you know, I mean, is this bad? Yes, it's bad, but it's, it's this way. This is the way we're thinking of, on basically all issues. You know, from, from our relationships with other nations to how we deal with the underprivileged in our own society to how we deal with immigrants to how we deal with women. And how, I mean, it's, it's everything. We have retreated into this narcissism where we're no longer concerned about the other. We're only concerned about how we feel about the other. The focus is not on them. It's on our feelings about them and our feelings about ourselves relative to them. And so, is it discouraging? Yes, it's discouraging. But there's even more of a chance. You know, it, it's, it, terrible times call on us to respond to those terrible times. And so, we need to, to respond. And the way we respond is nonviolently and simply to promote, to continue promoting the idea that if animals matter, if they have moral value, we can't treat them as things because things have no moral value. So it's a simple idea. As a matter of fact, it's an extraordinarily simple idea that people put a lot of time, a lot of energy, and a lot of money into confusing, into making complicated, and into distorting so that they can do things like promote happy exploitation and cage-free eggs and crate-free pork and... And you know, I mean, it's it, new it broiler is a, campaigns. Those are a big, big money going to mercy for animals and compassion over killing for broiler campaigns now. I don't, I, well, but but that that's not you know. Look, there's a, there's a uh, Steiner and I did a video on on the following topic. The entire movement at that level, the level of the corporate groups, is based on the idea that less suffering is better than more suffering. Now we all agree with that. We all agree. Less suffering is better than more suffering. Nobody disagrees with that. I agree with that. But there's a difference between saying less suffering is better than more suffering and I'm going to promote less suffering as a morally good thing. So I can say, you know, less suffering is better than more suffering. It is better on one, in, on one level when people do bad things to other people that they do it with less harm rather than more harm. That, you know, that, that, that it's better to inflict less suffering on somebody that you're doing something terrible to than, doing, than inflicting more suffering. But that doesn't mean that it's a morally good thing to inflict the less suffering. And that's what the, the, the animal, the modern animal movement is based on the idea that less suffering is better than more suffering, and therefore we ought to promote less suffering. So, even though we so, don't know what less suffering is necessarily, well, or, I mean, if but, it's but, but even, or if it's did, even achieved or attainable at all. Even, even if we did know what it meant, even if, even if, I mean, I think there's a huge question as to whether or not a conventional cage and an enriched cage I, I mean, I, I don't, you know, I mean, do, do, does an enriched cage provide welfare benefits? You know, is it significantly different for the chicken? The answer is, I really don't know, and I'm skeptical. But let's assume that 
that um, that a, a an enriched cage involves less suffering than a conventional cage. Does that mean we ought to encourage people to consume the eggs from enriched cages? No, because there's a there's another option. If they care, they should go vegan. And as long as animal people are telling people that they can discharge their moral obligations to animals by consuming cage-free eggs or, or enriched cage eggs, that's what they're going to consume. Because they've got the experts telling them, hey, you don't have to change. You don't have to do anything different. You can continue doing exactly what you were doing before. You can do exactly what you just were doing. Just pay a little more for it. You know? Right. <laughs> just, just pay a little bit more money and don't forget to give us a donation. So, so things are so confused that some guy can, can come along and say, I've invented reducitarianism, and I need financial support to promote an idea that is a simple idea that people have been promoting for, I think it's morally wrong, but this idea that, well, we ought to consume, we all ought to consume fewer animal products. Okay, great. What do you need to start, you know, why do we need to, to, to why does that idea need to have a donate button? Why does it need to have an organization? This is business. This is business. This is, we have a movement where lots of people are avoiding having to work by making a living off of the suffering of the backs of animals. It's a business. This is a business. But you know what? A lot of people see through that. A lot of people see through, a lot of people realize that reducitarianism is nonsense. A lot of people, you know, uh, 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 reject the welfare model. A lot of a lot of people are rejecting the single issue campaign model. A lot of people are doing this. And so, you know, is it is it? We're not only we're not only having to educate a a public that doesn't understand these things because they've been fed metaphorically, a lot of nonsense by these large organizations, but we've got to oppose the large organizations because they're really, you know, I mean, they have an agenda to confuse things. They have an economic incentive to confuse things, and they're very good at it. They're very good at it. So they're very good at telling people, well, you know, you're not going to change things overnight. Well, we've got to take baby steps. They, you know, all oh, less suffering is better than more suffering. The world so they, will never go vegan. You know, the world, you know, that's a, yeah, yeah, the world yeah you know, and, and so, so you know, the, we have, you know, the animal people are the greatest impediment. You know, they're the greatest impediment because they act as the animal, as the animal-friendly spokespeople of the institutional users. They perpetuate the demand by telling people that they can continue to consume animals and, and, and still discharge their obligations to animals. It's really quite insidious, but it is what it is. And there's nothing I can do about it, there's nothing you can do about it, except to go out and educate more and to resist and, and, to, and to explain to people that if they think that animals matter and they believe that animals have, you know, that animals have moral value, then animals have to have at least one right, and that's the right not to be property. And once you recognize that right, the entire basis of institutionalized exploitation evaporates 
and 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 you know and people people will see people see the moral imperative that they need to go vegan and you know the idea that we're going to get people to go vegan by encouraging reducetarianism or meat free monday or flexitarianism or cage free eggs or crate free pork is nonsense but that works in you know it's it's effective in that it brings in lots of money to these organizations because people who care about animals would like to be told that they can be good people they can express their care they can pat themselves on the back for being good while they're while they continue to consume animals and the animal people are right there saying yep you can do that we'll let you do that here here's your license here's your here's your here's your pass go ahead continue to consume animals just give us a donation it really is the donations the big donations are flowing from the philanthropy project so it's like the medieval catholic church you want to commit adultery you want to do all sorts of things to upset god that's fine just give a donation to the church so it's the same sort of thing it's a, it really is the same sort of thing i, I know you want to, i think you uh, want to talk about hampton creek uh, oh yeah follow-up. i just you know, it's been really interesting because there's an example. Hampton Creek um, is manufacturing and has been for a couple of years now, has been um, manufacturing and selling a non-vegan cookie, cookie that's got milk in it. And, um, and, and, and you know, a number of us have been very upset about this. And, and you know, of course, by raising it, everyone's saying, oh, but, you know, they, they, they're making a lot of, of non-vegan cookies and they have a contract with a food service company, and and the food service company let them make all the other cookies uh, non-vegan, but apparently uh, demanded that they make this cookie non-vegan. All the other cookies vegan, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. All the other cookies were, you know, could be made not uh, could be made vegan, but this one cookie had to be made uh, non-vegan. And it's just been fascinating to watch how. You know, you raise this, you say there's a moral problem, and then you get jumped on by the animal people who say, yeah, but look at all the good that they've done. And the answer is, yeah, but they're a vegan company. They claim to be a company that produces plant-based food um, exclusively, and yet they're not. And I, I was really quite amazed because, I, you know, I, I, I buy some of their product. No more. I will, I will not, do, not do it anymore. But I have bought some of their products in the past. I will not buy anything from them anymore. But what's really, what's really interesting is to see how people get, you know, I mean, again, these are the brainwashed people of the movement. It's like you can't even raise this question. You can't even say, you know, I think it's appalling that this company is making a non-vegan cookie and promoting it. Oh, it's wonderful. It's yummy. It's great. It's this. It's that. Um, and, you know, and promoting this cookie, promoting the idea that it's okay to eat animal products, at the same time, they claim to be this great spokes company for, you know, for, for, for plant-based foods. They're, they're promoting the idea that injustice, you know, they, they have an issue with eggs. So injustice to chickens, not good. Injustice to cows, good. And, and what's and really... Again, that, that issue with eggs is, is such a charade because... One of the partners of Hampton Creek sells, you know, works for HSUS and sells cage-free eggs to universities and corporations. So well, the, the, the co-founder, the co-founder, Josh Balk, is the guy who, I mean, I, I don't know what he's doing now, but he certainly was in, 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 his, 
in his past uh, responsibilities at HSU was responsible for the, for getting cage-free eggs into various institutions like colleges and universities and well, companies. He traded jobs with Paul Shapiro, so uh, All right, well, there, what there you go. Would, would he be farm animal protection now? Which uh, you know, they're batting zero. If <laughs> that that's got to be rough to being vice president of farm animal protection at HSUS. You know, you get you have a zero batting average and. Uh, and a high salary for it, apparently. Right. Well, you know, and also, I mean, it's like to to say that it's farm animal protection. It's more animal. It's it's more protection of farm animal exploitation, actually. And um, and 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 what's really been interesting is I've done some digging around, and I find that you know, I mean, and again, you don't have to, it doesn't take more than five minutes. You go and you look at the Hampton Creek recipes that you find on YouTube, and they contain, you know, they and, and their ingredients list. They, I found three last night in five minutes, three of them in five minutes, that had butter as an ingredient. You know, in, I mean, it's... In recipes that they're giving? Yeah, in, in recipes, yeah, they have recipes that they put on YouTube, and I guess on their Facebook page, but they have recipes, and the recipes call for butter. The recipes also, a lot of them use sugar, and I wasn't able to see in the recipe list any any statement that, you know, you ought to buy organic sugar because, at least in the United States, if you buy sugar, and, you know, if you, the sugar that we have in the United States is, by and large, cane sugar, if it is not organic, you do not know, and it is most likely bone chard. You know, and you can't really, I mean, unless you know this, unless, unless, unless you've got reliable information coming from a supplier, you're not going to know when you buy non-organic sugar in this country. You're not going to know whether it's bone chard or not. Much of it is, perhaps most, I know, certainly much of it is, bone chard. Well, certainly so, CNH, you know, CNH sugar is. I'm sorry? CNH, CNH sugar is bone char, and that's uh, probably the most yeah. popular brand out there. So. I mean, so, so but, but this is, you know, this is like, this is this company. I'm being told by all of these animal people, oh, Francine, you're being unreasonable. This is just such a wonderful company. This company is going to change the world. It's going to, you know, this, this company is moving everybody in the vegan direction. And the answer is, really? It's recommending that you put butter in recipes. It's making a cookie that's got milk. And the thing that's really interesting is Hampton Creek claims that, they, that there wasn't, they, they, they didn't have the ability uh, when they were making this cookie, they've been making this cookie for at least two years, and they've been saying that you know they're going to make a vegan version of it. Well, Lenny and Larry's has had a a white chocolate macadamia. That's what this is. It's a white chocolate macadamia nut cookie. They've had a vegan version of it, which is wildly popular for at least two years. So Hampton Creek is not only marketing, making and marketing and affirmatively uh, promoting their non-vegan cookie, but they had the choice two years ago. There, was, there were substitutes they could have used to make a very desirable cookie two years ago. So, so they've been, they've been uh, baking or making these cookies for two years now? Yes, they've been making for two years. We've been, you know, two years they've been, they've been trying to, at least two years, they've been saying that, that they're going to come up with a vegan version of this. Well, there was a vegan version of it available two years ago. They didn't even have to produce a non-vegan version of this, but they're doing it. You know, they're producing a non-vegan version of the cookie. They're promoting it. And God forbid, if you say anything, the animal zombies come out of the woodwork and say, oh, you can't criticize. Well, I am criticizing. I think that's wrong. 
And I think and, it's and wrong. I see what some people have been saying, and, and again, I think it uh, confirms the confusion over the term plant-based, because I, I've seen somebody, somebody said uh, Hampton Creek uh, uh, isn't a vegan company, it's a plant-based company. So I don't, I don't think anybody really knows what plant-based means, because, uh, you know, you know plant-based foods can have uh, animal products. Well, you know, plant-based is a funny, plant-based is a funny kind, you know, it's a funny term. It can mean... knows what it means, especially, especially, I don't know what it means. I don't, I don't well, know, you know. And, and so I think, it's just interesting that, you know, you, if you point out, gee whiz, you know, Hampton Creek, you know, and, you know, this company that's celebrated by vegans all over the place, they're making a non-vegan cookie. And, you know, the first reaction is to say, how dare you criticize this? And then you say, well, but you know, they also have butter in their recipes. They have sugar in their recipes. They have brown sugar in their recipes with no note that I was able to see. I mean, I was looking at some of these recipes. I didn't see any note, you know, like, please make sure you only buy organic sugar because, you know, if it's not organic, it's most likely bone char. Nothing. You know, I'm looking all over to see if there was, like, some note about the butter. No, I wasn't able to see anything. And so, you know, I mean, you know, that they, they maybe say, well, you know, we, we're suggesting that you use a non-dairy, quote, butter, end quote. It was just butter without quote marks around, without scarecrows. So, I mean, it's, it's, it, it, what's remarkable is you can't even raise this with, the, with the, 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 the followers of these corporate organizations because they can't even discuss it with you rationally. They get very upset with you for raising it. But this is, this is the way to, you know, it, this is the corporate movement in 2017. It ain't about the animals. It's about people feeling good about their supposedly caring about animals. That's what it's about. Nothing to do with the animals. I mean, it really is remarkable. It is a movement which is completely devoid of concern about the animals. It's a focus on humans and humans feeling good about their feeling concern about animals. It's like, it's like, I want to feel good that I care about animals. Tell me how I can do that in the least intrusive way possible as far as my life's concerned. Tell me how I can do that. Say it. But you know what? We can lament the stuff or, and do nothing about it, or we can every day work toward a vegan world and, and trying to educate people who are receptive to the clarity of the abolitionist vegan perspective. And there are lots of them out there. And because there has been so little educational effort exerted on the part of these larger, no, I take that back, because there has been no educational effort exerted on the part of these large organizations. There are a lot of people out there who need to be educated and who are grateful and understand and, and really respond very well. And those are the people we need to be talking to. Yeah, I, you know, I wish we had access to the, those millions going toward uh, cage-free eggs and uh, you know, yeah, well, the broiler well, campaigns and all of that. It's all, all that money going you know, with not a word toward uh, talking about going vegan. So it's, you know, it's, what, what a waste, really. It is indeed. It is indeed. But you know what? There, we have something called the Internet now. It's not as, it, it, it is not as, look, obviously um, people who are doing advocacy work would benefit from 
a lot of the the financial resources that are going into these welfare groups. However, it is no longer necessary. There was once a time when you needed those sorts of resources or else you couldn't communicate at all. Now we can communicate. The challenge is to be more creative in our communication. That's the problem. We have to be more creative in our communication. But there is, you know, the Internet has, has, hasn't leveled the playing field by any stretch, but it, it's gone in a, you know, it's taken a significant step towards leveling the playing field. Um, and, and, you know, and there, there's, I mean, you know, look, there was once a time if you didn't have a relationship, maybe you did because you had a radio show, but for the rest of us mere mortals, um, if you didn't have a relationship with the large organizations, then you were very limited in how you could communicate. Well, you know, that changed now. That changed. I'm, so, I'm, glad, I'm glad that having a radio show uh, has, has made me immortal, That's, that's or, or was is being vegan 33 years. We'll, we'll see which one. <laughs> Which it is. Oh, by the way, you, you mentioned that I, I didn't hear that. Uh, you know, you mentioned that the FBI director was fired, and that I didn't know. You know what angle you were. You know, which angle. You know, your perspective was on that because you were talking about like uh, years ago, fi firing a special prosecutor. Um, I'm, I'm not thrilled with Comey because of uh, that he didn't prosecute Hillary Clinton. I, I think that. He made a case for her prosecution, and I think that you know the, the case that he made would have put probably anybody else in jail, you know, forever. Um, so you know, I've been upset with him for a number of reasons. But what what are you saying now? Like, why why is it? Well, uh, I, I, I must say I was a bit surprised when I heard the news tonight that um, that James Comey had been fired because um, he's in the midst of an investigation um, and, um, and he was fired um, uh, by the person he's investigating. And, um, and that, I, I was a bit surprised, but I think a lot of other people are too, based on, um, based on, on watching the news on a couple of stations. Um, the the I FBI, was, I, I would hope, with the, uh, well, I don't know if I would hope the FBI were always in the middle of an, an investigation. Maybe maybe I hope it wouldn't be, but uh, uh, if well, was this, does this have anything to do with Russia? Because if it does, uh, I'm what, all for him going. What, 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 what's interesting is, um, apparently, in firing Comey, the president gave as the reason that... Um, uh, or I guess the, the attorney general gave us the reason that um, he, he uh, about what he had done with Clinton. Now this is puzzling because the president was praising Comey for what Comey did with respect to Hillary Clinton in the in the in the primaries and in the election. Right, I'm sorry, in the election. And so um, this is all a bit puzzling, but it re you know it resonates, Bob. You and I are old enough to remember when um, when when the president. Uh, told uh, Elliot Richardson to fire Archibald Cox, who was the Watergate prosecutor, and um, and Richardson and Ruckelshaus refused. Who was the deputy uh, attorney general? Refused to fire him, and so then they got, as I recall, the solicitor general who was Bork. They got Bork to fire him, and um, and that was, I guess, what was that? Seventy two? I guess it was seventy two, wasn't it? Sure. I. I I was 72, 74, I don't know, sometime around that, 74 maybe. 
Um, and um, yeah, I guess it was seven. It's probably seventy-four. Maybe I, I don't. I really don't remember. But you and I are old enough to remember that. You know, the the the, the Saturday Night Massacre when Archibald Cox. You know, uh, well, basically when when um, when you know the, this all sort of uh, broke down and and uh, Richardson refused and Ruckel's house refused and and um, it was uh, you know the, the Saturday Night Massacre. Um, and and um, ultimately, the president ended up. Um, president Nixon ended up firing. Uh, you know, he ended up getting uh, Archibald Cox uh, fired. But uh, ultimately, it was that act that um, that resulted in President Nixon's impeachment. But this is just was just. I mean, I, I was I was like busy making a vegan dinner before, and I was happily cooking. That's what I would be expecting you to make for, uh, I was, for, I was for the making, evening meal. <laughs> I was actually making my version of a chakshuka. Um, it wasn't as good as what Joseph Soler did at the Greyhound Cafe on Sunday, but it wasn't bad. I've, it never, wasn't heard, I've never heard that, and I thought I, growing up in New York, I probably would have heard of most uh, Jewish food, including I was uh, guilty of eating whitefish back then, so I actually found um, it interesting that they're making yeah, a was, vegan whitefish. I, I, I was trying to make one tonight. It wasn't as good as Joseph's. It wasn't bad. It wasn't great. What's it called again? I, 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 Shakshuka. S-H-A-K-S-H-U-S-K-A. Um, and, um, and, uh, uh, and then I heard the news and I was I, I must say, I was really surprised. I thought, well, you, I, thought I, I, I didn't hear the news until you uh, you reported it. So, uh, oh yeah, no, after you get off the 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 show, you should go and turn on um, any news. And well, I don't know what to turn on because I don't trust any of them. I don't believe anything I, I see or hear, especially from uh, you know mainstream media. So, uh, well, yeah, I know, I know, but but I mean, the, it's it's uh, um, you know, uh, I, I understand what you're saying, but. Um, Get some get some news from whatever source you trust because <laughs> it's a fact that um, James Comey has been fired, and um, and and it's interesting because um, well, well I, thought, are, I thought he should have been fired right after the whole uh, you know when he when uh, he let, you know said he wasn't going to prosecute Hillary after he went through a whole list of I mean I just uh, thought you know. And then, but then uh, Hillary wasn't happy with him. She's blaming him for uh, uh, him and WikiLeaks for for losing the election. So they bl she's blaming him for her <laughs> criminality. Uh, if I may, I, I guess you know, guilty and you know, innocent until proven guilty. But come on. Um, and then WikiLeaks uh, because uh, the truth was revealed. <laughs> so I don't know. So. Pretty, pretty wild. So I wonder if this has implications of any um, prosecution of Hillary or anything to do with the Clinton Foundation or any of anything. Well, you know, I, I maybe maybe the Intercept. Maybe I'm interested. You know, that's one of the places that I might uh, trust for news. Um, so maybe maybe something's something's being said at the Intercept. Glenn Greenwald. I think I. Yeah, he's an interesting fellow. That's for sure. I don't, uh, you know, I, I can't, I can't watch CNN. I, I can't watch any, you know, even the Young Turks. I, I can't. Uh, I just, I'm, I'm, I just don't trust anyone anymore. I just uh, feel like God. everybody's agenda has gone crazy, especially with the with the support for, uh, you know, the the new Russia anti-Russia uh, 
Cold War that's been started based on nothing they, that has come from, you know, including Bernie Sanders. And so everybody's willing to have war with Russia, it seems, to uh, distract us from, you know, a bad political campaign. I don't, I, I don't get it. So, um, Very strange, Bob. These are, these are strange days. So, you know, so Very take strange. It, when, when you just think about what we've just been discussing, the fact that there's large amounts of money flowing to organizations that are promoting happy animal exploitation shouldn't really surprise you. As a matter of fact, you would be you, sh you really should be surprised if that weren't the case. Exactly. I, I think that uh, you know corruption you know corruption reigns supreme right now in, in everything. Political Indeed. parties, the environmental movement, those organizations, I, I think are all a scam. And uh, you know just. Just checking up on the Open Philanthropy Project, it's, uh, whoa, okay, I see what's happening here. Millions and millions flowing for corruption. So, uh, that, yeah, I, I would be surprised. I'd like to know news. I'd like, I'd like there to be an anti-corruption news channel. Well, there wouldn't be anything on. You know, it would be, I don't know, what would there be? The time and temperature, I guess, would, would they show. I don't know what, what else they could be. You'd, you'd have to be skeptical about that as well. Well, thank you for having me, and next week Anna will join us, and, and, um, and hopefully you will be closer to solving your technical difficulties. Ho hopefully so. so. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> thanks, so uh, thanks, great talking to you again. Thanks for being with us, week. Professor Francione. And again, uh, the Facebook page is Abolitionist Approach, and uh, you have, uh, are, are, are those videos, were they videos with uh, yeah, yeah. Professor The videos are on the Facebook page, and uh, go to our website, howdoigovegan.com, or abolitionistapproach.com, which is the more sort of theoretical rights versus welfare uh, page. But uh, howdoigovegan.com has all of our information about going vegan, and the Facebook page, Gary L. on the Abolitionist Approach to Animal Rights. Uh, is where you can come and discuss things and interact with other people and learn about what it means to say veganism is a moral baseline. Thank you very much. Okay, we'll talk Thank again you, next week. We'll see you next week. Okay. Take care. Thanks. Bye-bye. Well, okay. Again, thank you to Professor Gary Francione for his contribution to Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden. If you would like to make a contribution, you can donate at GoVeganRadio.com and find the donate button there. Um, I don't expect any financial support from the Open Philanthropy Project anytime soon. So uh, if you would like to uh, support us and help us keep going and growing with the vegan message and support this radio show, and uh, hopefully you're going to want to support Radio Bobby our 24-7 online music station. I'm starting the rumor on today's program that we're launching it on Memorial Day weekend. So, you know, so I get a deadline and we'll, we'll work toward that. I think you're going to really like it and uh, find a nice escape in, uh, in the music there. So anyway, again, uh, thank you for listening and we would uh, greatly appreciate your support and we'll be back with you again Next week on Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden at GoVeganRadio.com. Find us on Twitter at GoVeganRadio and Facebook, Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden.